welcome back to the Why Hockey Periodicals podcast. It is time for the big season preview edition. A lot of cool things coming up in this show, as you no doubt can see by the runtime. First up is uh, a Panthers-specific preview with a good friend of ours, David Dwork from WPLG in Miami, to talk about the upcoming season. Hello, David. How are you doing? Matt, I'm doing well. It's good to hear from you again. Hope uh, hope everything has been treating you well since our last uh, chat. Well, that well, see, the last chat we had was what around the trade deadline or just thereafter, and then since then the world went to hell. So there you are. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think our chat had anything to do with it, but it just it just so happens that when we were talking, I think we, we your your headline of uh, your headline picture, your profile, the top picture on your Twitter profile is you in Arizona. I'm like, oh boy, that was um, a thousand years ago at this point. Yeah, it feels like so long ago. I mean, I don't even know if it was in the same you know, time stream of the universe. It doesn't feel like it. But uh, there is hockey that is happening once again. And uh, I do want to say, firstly, for this show, David's on first to talk about Panther season preview. We're going to have Sean Tierney on a little bit later to do a more general league season preview. And Tommy and I will put a bow on things. We have some cool announcements coming for you later in the show that you may or may not have seen. But we will talk more about that in a second. I, let's talk about this team fascinating team as it is what's the sense around it right now because from afar i get the sense that this team kind of has a little new car smell to it like we don't know what that means going forward but it feels like the organization's a bit refreshed after everything that's happened after last season and particularly after the exit of the bubble what's the sense like on the ground about where everyone thinks the team is right now yeah i mean you kind of hit the nail on the head there when you said it's a bit of a new car smell to it um obviously there's always a ton of familiarity. Any team that has turnover, it's not going to be a ton. But with the Panthers, it's going to be at least a third of their lineup. Um, and the whole the front office has changed. You got a new GM. He's brought in a ton of new guys. Uh, it's and obviously, as you mentioned before, also just the crazy year that we've had. So everything just feels different right now. Um, but the moves that new general manager Bill Zito made, you can see the way he's trying to shape the team in a certain image, a little bit tougher, a little bit grittier much more responsible players. When, when, you know, you bring in guys like Patrick Hornquist and Radko Gudas, you know that, okay, they're going to get a little tougher. They're going to be a little more difficult to play against. And then you bring in like uh, Vinny Henestroza, Alex Wenberg, Marcus Nutravara, and you're like, okay, they're trying to get a little bit more responsible two-way hockey. So you can see what Zito's trying to do. Most of the guys he brought in, except for Gudas, who he signed to a three-year deal, everybody else, one-year deals, I think one two-year deal. So certainly... Um, a lot of tryout type deals, a lot of show me deals, but the team is going to be different this year. That, that's just no doubt. And even like w- when you talk to the players during training camp, like yesterday we we're speaking to Nolachari after practice, and he was saying this year our focus, we want to be able to win those two to one games. We want to be able to go into a third period with the lead and just hang on to it. We want to focus on defense first and the goals will come second. And for a team like the Panthers that's kind of hung their hat on their offense the last few years, it's very interesting to hear that kind of perspective especially knowing that the head coach joel quenville plays such a possession defensive style of hockey so it's funny how we talk about you know being more responsible defensively and tougher to play against this does not mean we're talking tougher to play against as in you're going to have you know enforcers punching your face in this is getting hockey players who actually can play defense and care about defensive systems because that hasn't really happened the last couple of years it's just been a team that scored a million goals and not in a million goals and I think that in Bill Zito, of course, coming from Columbus, we know what that team was like and how they played. I'm not saying that this team's going to come Columbus South. That's not really the, the, the 
the, the gist of it. He's going to build his own team in his own way. But it, it kind of feels like that was the maximization of what a team in a market like Columbus could do. And now when you translate that to Florida, it feels kind of similar. I mean, we have to see how it plays out, of course. But does that does that kind of feel like something that you're seeing? Because the more I think about it, like, there's a lot of Columbus. It's not just bringing in Blue Jackets. It feels like this is kind of that starting of that blueprint, even though you might yeah. argue the Panthers have a little bit of higher offensive talent at the top, top end. Well, and, and that's where it kind of shows that it's not the worst of ideas either, because you can see what they've been building in Columbus over the last several years, and Bill Zito was a big part of that. So to come to Florida and to to see such a glaring area that needed to be fixed, Zito already being able to do that, what he did in Columbus, it makes perfect sense. And, and then you'd say Columbus South, well, you're bringing in, you got an Alex Wenberg, you got a Marcus Nutravari, you got a Bill Zito, you got a Sergei Bobrovsky, you got Anthony Duclair who used to play in Columbus. And suddenly, yeah, maybe it is kind of looking like a Columbus South. And from a Panthers perspective, Columbus made the playoffs a couple straight years. They've won a playoff round. Panthers haven't done that. They haven't made the Since playoffs. Since I was a three-year-old, actually more like yeah. two and a half, but that's close exactly. enough. Exactly. So I I see what Bill Zito is trying to do, and right now it's just kind of curious to see how it plays out once the season starts. Well, it's also funny that they put them in the division with the Blue Jackets and they make them play eight times this year, which is amusing. Uh, the one thing, I, I don't think Bill Zito said it, and if he has, I, I missed it, but I wonder if he made a distinct uh, approach in this offseason to get players that he or Joel Quenville knew because pretty much everybody, Sans Gudis and maybe Carter Verhage are players that either Bill Zito knows because he had him in Columbus, Joel Quenville knows because he coached him in Chicago, or in the case of Anthony Duclair, both. I, I think that that probably, the more it happened, it seemed to be very deliberate. And for this weird season where you, we didn't know what the season was going to look like when these signings were made and knowing how weird it's going to be now that we know what it looks like, I think it makes a ton of sense because you're not going to have a lot of betting in time with all these players kind of knowing each other already. And that kind of eases the transition. So you're not going to see 10 games of like, oh, they're getting the systems wrong kind of thing. And especially in a 56 game season where every game matters even more, that is probably more important than it usually is. Yeah, it, it, it all just makes sense. And Zito is such a forward thinking guy. Um, he didn't come out and say specifically, I brought in guys that Hugh and I are familiar with because we know what they can do. Uh, in, in the terms of Q system, but when you read between the lines, yes, you've had guys that succeeded with both men in both of their previous locations. You bring them to Florida so they could magnify on those specific, de- you know, when we talk about the responsible two-way, we talk about the grit. That's all that they wanted to bring to Florida. You've already got your Alexander Barkov, you've got your Huberto, you've got your Aaron Ekblad. So they've got their core in place. They know that they've got players that can score. I mean, you got, you know, secondary scoring by like Brett Connolly, you mentioned, uh, <clears throat> Nolachari earlier, and then you've got our the, the rookies that are coming in, Grigory Denisenko and Owen Tippett as well. So scoring probably not going to be an issue, even though they lost a Mike Hoffman and an Evgeny Dadnov. Uh, what I've been saying in that regard is like you you've eliminated two guys that can score a lot of goals, but you've also eliminated two guys that didn't really do a ton in preventing goals. So when you look at the plus minus of how many goals you gave up from the roster, you also have to take into account how many potential goals against they may not be giving up. So everything just makes sense. And then what you were saying before about having the shortened off season, much quicker off the jump, less time to acclimate. It all just makes sense that they brought in guys that there's a lot of familiarity, not just from a coaching standpoint, but from a playing standpoint, knowing specifically what roles you can put them in. And there's also the cap situation too. And because it's flat and it's not going up, the Panthers are one of the few teams in the league that has legitimate actual cap space. And also putting all these players on one year deals means, um, thinking ahead to the Seattle Kraken expansion draft, 
Panthers probably aren't going to lose many people. I've called the, the Panthers roster expansion draft proof. And since Panthers fans have nightmares of now four years ago, <laughs> you know, that, that, that it's, it's really smart roster building. I have to mention the front office here for a second, too, because Bill Zito's brought in. I mean, there's plenty of people we don't know that he brought in, but he's brought in some a very interesting front office. And one of the things I said that I wanted in the new GM was a clean break from the past. Nobody, almost nobody, from the past of Florida Panthers history should be coming back. It is time for a clean break. And that, I think, is, is why I'm most optimistic, because the people he's brought in, he's brought in smart people from a lot of different perspectives. He's brought in multiple people, very smart when it comes to analytics. It just, it just feels like that new front office is why I have more optimism, because maybe it's the fear of the unknown also. You know, I know what the past was like. So what, what do you think about, I mean, just in general, the front office that he's built? Because when, when I talked, when they hired Bill Zito, we were talking with people from Columbus about it, and it sure seemed like this was what he was going to do, and then he did it. So what, what do you think about just the way he's constructed the people around him and now how it seems like finally for the first time since I couldn't even tell you years, they're all pulling in the same direction. Yeah, that, that's kind of the thing with Zito is that he's he's very open-minded in the way that he approaches hockey. So it's not not like, I don't want to throw any names out, but not like certain GMs that may have been locked into looking for a certain style of play or certain GMs that are all about analytics. Like Zito is definitely one of the guys that incorporates all elements. And you can you mentioned the front office that he built around him. You bring in guys like Brett, Brett Peterson, Paul Fenton, um, Sonny, Sonny Me- Meta. I still am Sonny struggling. Sonny Meta, with- it's okay. Yeah, there will be Devils fans that will surely help you pronounce his name because he's apparently friends with all of them, as oh, far as I'm no. as far as I'm aware. I mean, even like a, a Blake Jeffrey on and the hockey pedigree that comes with his family. And, and you talk about you don't want to bring any of the past Panthers front office guys back, but he did bring Rick Dudley back, who has a ton of experience. You bring him in as a special advisor. You keep Roberto Luongo around, and he built that goaltending excellence department, which I love. I think that is an amazingly smart thing to do to invest. Uh, that kind of resource into a position, perhaps the most important position in the game. So, yeah. Are you saying that just because you played goalie too? Uh, yes. No. Okay, maybe. just just checking. <laughs> no, I mean it, it's com- comparable to like a baseball pitcher. Like, obviously, every player has their importance on the field, but there's a reason that pitchers generally make more money than anyone else. There's a reason that pitchers get specific pitching coaches. They get so m- much time, attention, resource dedicated to them. And I'm not saying that, you know, it has to be exactly the same in hockey, but it would make sense for a position like goaltender where there's so much like specific nature that goes into both the training, the scouting and the development. Uh, it, it just made perfect sense. So when this happened, like you've seen it, I think um, Calgary, <clears throat> me, Calgary did it. It's something similar. And I believe Arizona also at one point had. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, but e- either way, this is the kind of thing that I think it's going to become more and more common. And just for the Panthers to be at the forefront of something innovative like this, it's it's a refreshing change. Well, we could talk about that more in the in the future of the Panthers goaltending because there's a lot to talk about when the two goalies in your organization play in the World Junior Final. But I have to talk about the current goaltender, and a lot of these moves you could argue are designed to make Sergei Bobrovsky um, less. Uh, angry at the team in front of him because I still maintain that last year's performance is much more about the team not playing at all responsible defensively as opposed to Bobrovsky having a bad year because he had a struggle but a lot of that of course is I think most people agree now was the Panthers defensively were so bad that there's nothing any goaltender in the world could do and this season for Sergei Bobrovsky is fascinating not just because he's in the second year of a very long-term contract, not just because now there are two legitimate high-end goaltending prospects behind him that are going to push him at some point, but it's also because this season of all seasons, 
The Panthers don't really have a 1B goaltender. Chris Drieger's there, but he's not going to play all that much, as opposed to Sergei Bobrovsky in a division where the teams they're competing with for the playoffs are going to have 1B goaltenders, and they're going to have splits. Sergei Bobrovsky, of 56 games this season, could play, I think, up to maybe like 48, 49. Like, they only have seven back-to-backs, too, so... Have they made any indication as to how much they think Bobrovsky's going to play? Because I think you're going to see him something like three-quarters to four-fifths of the games they play this year, unless he gets hurt. Uh, no, they haven't, and that's probably because Sergei Bobrovsky has not been present at training camp to this point. He's been unfit to play. We have not seen him yet. Um, no indication, obviously, whether it's COVID, whether it's an injury. So we really have no idea. I know he had been training every day at the ice den at their practice facility for the informal workouts before training camp started. So, you know, you can speculate all you want. Um, but in terms of how much Bob is going to be used this year, assuming he's you know healthy uh, for opening night next week, um, I, I don't think that they would lean on him that heavily. I think they've got a, a backup goaltender in Chris Streeter who they look at as kind of, he had an amazing year in relief of Bobrovsky, basically saved the Panthers season when Bob was hurt and the Panthers were really struggling in February. Um, so I would imagine that they would probably lean on Dreeter a little bit more, maybe 25 to 30% of the games. It just depends on how the schedule shakes out. Uh, Quenville is not somebody who's afraid to, to ride a hot player and Dreeter, I, I believe that he led the NHL in save percentage last year for the, you know, for the Baker's dozen games that he played in. So the way that, the way that it shakes out playing time wise, I would expect that, but that's your, your first point on Bob. I, I'm expecting a bounce back year for him, both for the reasons of the players they brought in to support him and also just a generalization of goaltenders. Often when they switch cities, many times they'll struggle. Um, One one of the recent cases I always point to is when Ben Bishop went to Dallas. His first year there was not very good. Came back the next year. You know, you're talking Vezina Trophy caliber goaltending. Uh, Sergey Barofsky certainly shown throughout his career that he can play up to that caliber. He trains his butt off, and nobody works harder than Bob. So you, you would think that just based on Bob's progression of the way he's been working and all the moves made around him, uh, it certainly points to a big bounce back year for Bob. And speaking about Chris Dreger, I was talking to him like a few weeks back, and I asked him, I said, when you see these moves that Bill Zito made just as a goaltender, you have to smile. And he's you know, basically was like, yeah, this is great. Like It's nice to see that they're seeing, putting so much emphasis on improving an area of the game that really might have sunk their season last year. Oh, it did. It absolutely sunk their season. I mean, you don't be one of the highest scoring teams in the league, but also be like bottom three in goals given up. It's yeah. not It's not feasible. And that was the problem the season before, when I thought a lot of it was legitimately was coaching. And then it came, okay, no, it's actually personnel. And like Joel Quenville came in and tried to revit. And they also have a new defensive coach this year in old Samuelson too. So it's, it's part coaching. It's part structure. It's part personnel. And uh, it's a very different defense core. And that's for the better because we've said a lot of things about the Panthers' previous defensemen that are no longer there. Uh, now, for this, this lineup otherwise, um, we, we had projected Alexi Sarla in the lineup. Oops. Uh, so that's not happening. I also have to mention for those three Finns, Borgstrom, Sarla, and, and Lindell, because it's going to get brought up again. The Finnish season ends at the end of March. It's different than the normal NHL season where you'd play a, a handful of games. And in the Panthers' case, they'd probably be meaningless by that point. Now you're going to have at least a third of the season left. If the Panthers can get them signed, in the case of Lindell, that won't be hard. But do you think there's a chance that they become their quasi-trade deadline acquisitions come March? Because it, it seems that they're very much setting up for 
bringing them in at that point. Um, and I, I heard somebody else say that they might not burn a year of the ELC for Lindell for this year, but the way he played in the World Juniors now quickly, he seems to be grasping everything at the at the highest level. Like you could plug him in night one when he comes over, and he probably wouldn't miss a beat. But is that something that's plausible, or or am I reading too much into it? No, I, they haven't taken anything off the table. It's certainly nobody has said that it can't happen. I, would all three of them do it? Or you know, it, it, there's so many variables that to can take into account. Like how how's the Panthers team doing? You know, on their own at that point of the year, do they have holes in the roster that may or may not need to be filled? Did you know each of those? Uh, Lindell, you assume he's going to continue to be amazing as he has been throughout the year. Sarla has been amazing for Luco, uh, Bordstrom, not so much, but he also has only played a handful of games for IFK. Um, and yet their season, the the Liga season, does end at the uh, beginning of April. It got pushed back a couple a couple of weeks because they had to shut the league down last month. But um, but then you have to think about both IFK and Luco are both uh, playoff teams right now in Liga, and uh, Luco is right now like towards the top of the league. So you would assume that even if they, let's just say for argument's sake, they get bounced out of the first round, even then you're looking at mid to late April at the earliest for them to come across. We don't know what kind of COVID protocols there may or may not be at that point. So it, there's so many variables to take into account between now and then that it's hard to predict, but nothing is off the table. Zito has said, you know, in regard to Sarla and Bordstrom more recently, you know, it's what they want to stay there. It's what's best for the players. He's in communication with their agents. Zito and Bordstrom's agent actually used to be partners when Zito was on the agent side of things. So there's a good relationship there. Um, it's possible, but at this point, I just feel like you're going to give yourself a brain pretzel if you try to work out all the different scenarios. Well, I give myself brain pretzels trying to, you know, figure out how the Panthers are going to make the playoffs in many different years. So, you know, that's no, that's nothing new. You know, that's what we, we do that at Why Hockey. We give ourselves brain pretzels. So for the lineup that you're going to see, um, we got an indication that Anthony Duclair probably starts on the top line, probably. Although you're re-recording this before they play their scrimmage and before a good chunk of their practices. So we don't quite know yet, but that seems to be the indication. Beyond that, it's open season. I have no idea what this lineup's going to look like because a lot of different players could play in a couple positions. The reason why I bring up Lindell is because he's going to end up as the 2C for this team at some point. But who ends up their opening night? I think other than how much does Bob play this season is the biggest lineup question that the Panthers are facing. I've thought that it'll end up being Wenberg, but what do you think when it comes to that slot, which was a problem for the Panthers last year when Trocek was there, became a bigger problem when he left. So who ends up being the starting 2C on opening night? Right now, I would say it's going to be Alex Wenberg. The first day of training camp, well, the second day of training camp, the first day of practice, Q, that was the first player he talked about when we're, you know, who jumped out at you today. He was really impressed by Wenberg. He's had him uh, centering a line with uh, Frank Vetrano and Brett Connolly. So plenty of offensive power on that line, a little bit more responsible grit on Connolly's side, a little bit more speed on the Vetrano side. And then Wenberg doing his thing in the middle. I mean, we've seen Wenberg that he can be a good offensive player. We've seen what he can do in Columbus. Is, is the fresh start in Florida and the confidence from Zito what he needs to get back to that level? I mean, through three days of training camp, for whatever it's worth, he's trending in that direction. So, you know, just as, as you said, the probability is that Duclair ends up on that top line for opening night, it's probable at this point that Wenberg's going to be on that 2C spot. 
And you also mentioned Denisenko and Tippett with Sarla not being there. Uh, it is, I thought it was at least a guarantee Denisenko was going to make it. It was less so on Tippett. But now it's almost guaranteed that both of them are going to be on the opening roster, which I'll ask you about the AHL thing in a second. Uh, what are the expectations from the team for those two? As Tippett had his, his very brief cameo a couple years ago, had a good AHL season before it ended. Denisenko's been in South Florida a very long time, which is why I thought he was going to be on the opening right roster no matter what. He, he spent most of the pandemic in South Florida. So where, where do they expect to be? Because I think at some point you're expecting one of those two to basically supplant Duclair and play alongside Barkov. And that would be the hope for one of them at least. Uh, so where do you think they start and where do you think the team hopes they end up? I think, well, they're both going to start on whether it's the roster or the taxi squad. That, I would say, is a guarantee. Tippett, I, my, this is my personal opinion, but I think Tippett's a little bit more ready um, than Denisenko, just based on what I've seen from Tippett for the last year plus and from what I've seen of Denisenko for the last two years, um, from what I've been able to see of him in the KHL, and then you know limited time here in training camp. I think he needs a little bit more seasoning playing the North American style. I think he has to adapt a little bit more. Um, he's got all the natural ability. Uh, it just needs a little bit more, uh, TLC for lack of a better term. Tippett, he's, he looks ready. I mean, size wise, the way that he carries himself, his shot, his skating, the, the question with Tippett is going to be how quickly is he going to grasp what coach Q wants him to do? Um, and then offensively, it, it, I think his, his limitations are just going to be based on more who he's out there with. And who he's facing against, really. I mean, if he's out there on a line that's not facing, getting the attention that the Barkov line is going to get, it's going to be to his advantage. Uh, Q's had Tippett skating with uh, Carter Verhage and Etu Lusterainen, and that actually could be a line that ends up something like the Panthers' third line, uh, just based on the youth and the skill and the ice time that they'd be getting. So, I, per, this again, that's my personal opinion. I just think Owen Tippett's a bit ahead of Denisenko at this moment. Um, but I would expect both of them to make a contribution before the season's over and probably probably a fairly decent one based on uh, the skill that they both have. And then my other question is, now that Charlotte's not playing in the AHL this year and you're quote-unquote sharing development with another team that is primarily the crunch focused on the Lightning for obvious reasons, I mean, what? and that's part of why I don't mind Sarlo and Borgs from staying in Finland. It's better than they're there than over here playing on a team that is not as focused on Panther development. And that's the thing with Denisenko, why I'm wondering, like, because you can't have him not playing, like, being in the taxi squad is, is good, but then you also have to wonder about him. It's this Gordian knot of, do you want him playing for the crunch? Because you don't know how they're going to use him, and it's not necessarily how the Panthers would use him, but that's just the reality of the pandemic, I guess, and how there is as one of the unlucky teams that had to say, no, we can't do this. So... Like, that's the other question with, and I know you've probably thought about this too with Denisenko. Like, of all the people who the Panthers might be a little worried about with development, Denisenko would probably be like 1A, you know, in terms of that. This, because if Charlotte was playing, I think Denisenko would probably start there, but they're not. So, do you have any, any other ideas on that? Yeah, I agree with you completely. When when the when Charlotte opted out, that was basically why I was like, okay, Denisenko's going to be sticking with the Panthers then, because for, for the reasons that you just mentioned, he he needs the attention of the coaching staff. He he's going to need to be kind of caressed into into this new style of play, into this new coaching style. And that would have happened in Charlotte, but now Charlotte's not happening at all. So that's why I think it maybe could expedite, maybe help him to stay with the team, maybe even jump you know jump in a handful of games here or there. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. I, that's why I wouldn't really 
I want him getting the playing time in the AHL, no doubt, but I want him getting the right playing time that's going to help him develop with this team. And that probably wouldn't benefit him in Syracuse nearly the way it would in Charlotte. Well, me being my conspiratorial mind, I'd be thinking, oh, the Lightning would definitely sabotage the development of a Panthers prospect, or at least they should if this is a rivalry that actually matters. It's not yet, but maybe if it does matter, uh, then they do that. But maybe that's me being too conspiratorial. A couple things before we, we wrap this up. Of course, David, we appreciate you coming on. In terms of the overall division, it's not a brutal division. I mean, it helps that Detroit and the husk of the Blackhawks are in the division, so they're going to have a lot of chances to rack up points. But as I, as I game through the scenarios of what it would take for this team to make the playoffs this year, and of course you want to make the playoffs, you, you can't keep wasting years of Barkoff, Huberto, and Ekblad, uh, I find it hard to do the gymnastics that gets them in. I don't think there's a universe uh, in which that making the playoffs is completely impossible. It's not like the teams that are around them are demonstrably better. But, like, they have to beat four, two of the four of Dallas, Carolina, Columbus, and Nashville. And that's, that's tricky because they're all pretty good. So where do you, where do you stand on that? Because I, I, I have not been able to game a scenario in which I, that gets them in. Well, my view on this is that the Panthers aren't doing this because they're trying to, you know, one up another team in the division or the Panthers are doing this just to they'll be good. And once they figure out what they need to do, then the rest will all work itself out. If the Panthers end up having a good team, if all these moves that Bill Zio made work out, then everything else will fix itself. If they've got a team that's giving up a lot less goals than they did, that continues to score at a reasonable pace, they're going to be a good team, probably a playoff team. It's not so much about the other teams in their division because if Florida's good, they'll win more games, which means the teams in their division will lose more games, and then they'll be bumped up the standings. So I, I don't really get too wrapped up into, oh, well, you know, all these teams that were good last year, they're obviously going to be good this year. And, you know, that, that for me, that's all silly talk. It all comes down to where the Panthers are going to do what they're setting out to do. Most years, they fail. If they don't fail this year, they're going to be fine. But, you know, that's the question. Well, isn't it's it? the Panthers, so they fail quite a bit. Uh, and, and to that point, do you have them in the playoffs? I haven't made a playoff prediction yet, to be honest. Uh, you're actually the first one to ask me. So, uh, it, again, I it's a tough, a tough on the spot because if it's I'm just, gonna, I'm gonna spoil what I would say later in the show. If I'm predicting them ahead of one right now, it would be Nashville. That yeah, would be the one I would predict them ahead of. That's just Nashville struggled a bit last year. Pecorine really. Also, fell I think their coach people. is a complete goof. So <laughs> yeah. th- there's that. Hence why I'm predicting them uh, there. No, and I mean, but like even Carolina, they had their consistency issues last year. Tampa, I mean, Tampa's Tampa. Well, you're not beating Tampa. They're not beating the Lightning, even without Kucherov. They're just, I, yeah. I, that's not, you're not Tampa's focusing Tampa. on Tampa. It's the other three and four, I guess. That. Well, it, it, Dallas, Dallas is solid. But again, like it, everything is year to year. No, no team is good always. No team is bad always. Well, the Panthers Save have been joke. bad always. Save I have to say, I have to say that. You know. No, it's, it's just going to come down to, you know, that. The Panthers have a lot more skill than they've had in a long time when, you know, your bottom six potentially has, you know, a, a Henestroza, a Verhage, uh, you know, wherever Wenberg ends up. But you get Noah Chari, Patrick Hornquist, who has not played yet. He's going to fill out that uh, that number two spot on the second line. There's plenty of talent with this Panthers team. It's Is it going to work? You say, well, they've got the great coach. They've got the great goalie. They, it, it All the pieces are there. We said the same thing last year. There'd be no excuse. What was the excuse last year? Well, they didn't play any defense. Well, that's an excuse, isn't it? What's it going to be this year? You've made all these moves. 
It's you know, tough, the excuse man. will it's be, I can tell you what the excuse will, I can tell you what the excuse will be. Blame Dale Talon. I he guess left you the roster that. in a mess and it's going to take a year, more than a year to clean it up. That's going to be yeah. what it is. Like, I, I really like the roster they've put together. I think that if everyone does what they're supposed to do, that I don't see why this wouldn't be a playoff team. I think the Panthers should be one of, one of the better teams in this division, assuming nobody falls off the face of the earth. And injuries. And that's the other reason why this team, why last year was concerning, because they didn't have injury problems last year. You know? yeah, they were one of the few teams. They were that... one of the few teams that was pretty clean when it came to injuries. Bob had a, had a minor issues, and Uyghur had minor issues, and Barkov, I think, missed maybe a game or two. But it was they had a clean season when it came to injuries, unlike Columbus, who was a mash unit by the end of the year. So that's the other thing. Like Injury luck does not, does not stay the same. So, and that's, that's what I'm intrigued. But so, and I'll get you out of here on this, of course, before you plug all of your, uh, your wonderful work. Where do you, what would you be telling Panthers fans that are, so who are going to watch at home and for the few psychos who decide to actually go to the game in the building, which I don't understand why anybody would do that with the pandemic the way it is right now. But as I said, you are bigger Panthers fans than, than the folks here at Y-Hockey. Congratulations. Uh, what would you be telling them? to expect for the season what would you be telling them to look out for and what would be your message as they get started again about where this team is and where it's heading i would say be optimistic i mean you've got fresh eyes in the general manager's office with a lot of support around him you can just see by the moves that were made in the offseason that they've got an eye on the issues and then they're trying to resolve them and and for this season i would say go into it with some cautious optimism like it, it's okay there's enough talent on this team, as I just said, like it's not like they're a bad team on paper. Paper doesn't play the games, no doubt, but there's enough talent on this roster for them to not only be it just a just the playoff team, but to do some damage in it. You've got depth, you've got goaltending, you've got a coach, you've got experience. Like they check off all the boxes, they just have to make it work. So, I, you know, for what it's worth, you know, I'm optimistic. I feel like this team, as long you know, as you said, if, if the injury bug doesn't come back to bite them, which didn't happen last year. Uh, it's. I think the Panthers could surprise some people this year. I really do. Well, I also think the one big reason for my optimism or cautious optimism is when you have a dysfunctional front office, it trickles down, and it clearly did. I mean, there are numerous stories from the past couple of years about how the dysfunctional front office trickled down. Uh, the fact that they have a front office pulling in the same direction now at least gives me hope that that element is stable. And even if it takes a little bit of time to stabilize the, the playing aspect of it, that being gone is, is going to at least stabilize the on-ice product a little bit because they, they absolutely correlate. And it has been the case the last couple of years. So, uh, David, of course, it's great to always talk to somebody else who covers this team on a daily basis. Where can people follow your work if they are the one or two holdouts that still do not? Um, all my work is on Twitter at David's work where I'm covering the team daily. Um, my written work is on local10.com. You can download the local 10 app and just search for the sports. Um, and yeah, I've got a, I've also got a weekly radio show now onside radio. Uh, you can find it on any radio app or onside radio.com. Which and is recorded up- out of the beautiful Lockhart stadium part two in Fort Lauderdale. Yes, it is so cool to get to go there. And, and, if, and, and I don't care. They don't call it Lockhart Stadium, but I'm calling it Lockhart Stadium. I do not care. And I still call it Joe Robbie Stadium, so it's all good, my you, friend. You do. I, I remember seeing a soccer game there in like 2004, <laughs> Lockhart. I did seriously. It's, it's it's still amusing to me. And it's amusing that you're recording that. That's the most that stadium's gotten use out of in the last, I don't know, year? Oh, well. Um, 
No, they they had they had some they had some of the MLS teams there, and they just had Team USA just did a friendly there uh, a few weeks back. So uh, but again, it's it's not not a lot of people went to those games. I mean, some did. Again, psychos, but some did. Uh, anyway, I had I had to bring that up because of that. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to not call that lock Anyway, thank you again, David. We will talk to you down the line. Uh, brother, take care. As promised, uh, part two of the Y Hockey season preview, which is amazing to talk about season previews in January, but such is the world we live in. And we're going to now bring on another one of my favorite people in hockey, a Korean baseball expert, Sean Tierney. <laughs> That's right. I became a KBO expert during this crazy year. Thanks for having me back on. You are not the only person I follow who is an expert in KBO, but that turned out to be a friend of mine who was a big baseball person who worked for a Korean baseball team that went to Maryland with me. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, it was funny how, you know, a bunch of people that I had no idea were into the KBO or connected to it. It kind of came out of the woodwork when that was the only sport on the planet. It's kind of interesting uh, side thing that a lot of people were into. Well, a lot of people got into the Bundesliga at the same time. Yeah. It was, yeah, funny, yeah, how that, it was funny how that worked. I got into Aussie rules football when it was on right, like it, one in the morning in June. So the person who was, does the uh, Aussie rules football prediction uh, thing on hockey Twitter will be my new best friend. <laughs> I think there's an opportunity there. Uh, there is an opportunity. It wouldn't be for me, but whoever's listening to this, if you can do that, um, please, please do that. I will not root for any Aussie rules football team because then they will immediately be terrible for the rest of time, and I can't do that to some poor Aussie in Melbourne who would never know who I am. So uh, let's talk about the, <laughs> the hockey season. We could talk about these predictions because you do NFL predictions. You do all this stuff. I mean, we could spend all this time talking about that, but let's let's get to the bread and butter, which is this hockey season. And it feels so weird to be talking about this in January. And there's something else I wanted to bring up. And maybe uh, this is out of uh, not a little far afield, but it's something I'm thinking about since they announced the division format. And maybe you have a better answer to this than I do. Like this season is so strange because in, in essence, we have four different mini leagues going on. They all play by the same rules. They play the same sport. But none of these teams outside of your division are going to play each other. And this is the closest thing to the old AL and NL we get. Now, like, so my question is, and this is maybe a dumb question, but you'll probably have a better answer. Does that matter this year? Like, does the impact of a game between Buffalo and Boston actually have any tangible impact on what a game between Columbus and Florida has? Because they're not going to play each other this year? Well, I think it's a really good question. And it's one that is very very difficult to answer because we haven't really been through something like this in hockey you know definitely not in the modern stats era at least and so for me the approach is usually by the end of the regular season in a normal season uh, when we get there it matters what division you're in because you know you're looking at what other teams how they performed over the season how you rank against them so the importance of your division strength comes into focus kind of at the end of the year when we're deciding who the playoff teams are but now it's a vital importance right from day one you're only playing teams within your division if you lucked out and wound up in one of the divisions that's a little weaker you know that you're going to have more games against teams that aren't competitive than a team in a different division and so that kind of uh, restricted opponent field that we're going to see, it makes it a little bit more like being in the playoffs already where you're game planning for a smaller number of opponents instead of just kind of having to play your game and traveling city to city and then just restarting all over again. I think we'll see teams that have a specific plan of attack 
in a more playoff style, uh, something that we haven't really seen, I don't think, not to this extent before. So it definitely is impactful. But for me to say from this position, you know, here's the precedent on how it impacts, I'm really not sure. It's something we're going to learn about really quickly. Do you have any guesses to what the impact would be on just a statistical thing? Because, like, when we compare our numbers this season, like, is it going to matter if we say, okay, the Sabres are bad again, just just for an instance? But they could be a totally different level of bad as opposed to the Blackhawks, for instance, because they play a completely different set of opponents and their worlds are so different, like, at the end of this season, like, can we make an accurate judgment on some of these teams? Because, like, Florida gets 16 games against two really garbage teams. But, for instance, a comparable team to Florida, could be the Islanders, for instance, does not get 16 games against two of the worst teams in the league. So, like, is that going to inform, like, our judgments on this season? Like, can we really – would it be fair to make accurate judgments on this season? Because, I mean, the best teams are still going to be the best teams. They, that's not going to matter who you play. But for a team in the middle, like, it clearly does matter who you played. It clearly does matter what division draw you got. Yeah, I, I think you're pointing to an issue that I don't think we'll have good resolution on. Um, one way to approach it is, you know, as you're saying, Florida's going to get 16 games against Detroit and Chicago. That's an advantage the Islanders aren't going to get where the worst team in their division would be the third or fourth worst in Florida's division. So, um, we're we're not going to be able to say, you know, this team was definitively the worst because we're not going to get that mix up of games across divisions to say it. And then you just sort of made me think as you're asking this question right now, I have Tampa Bay at the head of the central. I have Boston at the top of the east and I have Toronto at the top of the north. And those three teams in a regular season are in the same division. And so. Uh, even the top, I think, will be really tricky to say anything definitive about because, you know, normally those three teams beat each other up a little bit. And this season, they won't even face each other until we get a couple of rounds into the playoffs if it plays out the way I see it. So uh, and then a second answer I would give to this is I think that what we might see is a team that relies on a very specific strategy to win. Maybe the Islanders, like you pointed out, with their tight defensive shell, their counterattacking offense. If you're playing against a team like that over and over and over, it might give other teams an advantage or, or uh, a way to game plan for you in a way they wouldn't if they're playing you on a Wednesday night and then they're out of town the next day. So I think that teams that rely on a system to bring their floor up, those teams may get exposed in this kind of scenario where their opponents are able to game plan. If you're not the most talented team in your division, I think you might get exposed. But I'm really just guessing at this point because we haven't seen anything like this before. Because, again, I think about it with Columbus, who's kind of an Islanders knockoff in the same yeah. in, the, in the central. Like Columbus wins because their system was better. And then you see what happens as the playoffs go on slowly and slowly. Better teams just start winning. And maybe that happens in this division. But there also aren't many better teams in that division than Columbus. So uh, I have to ask the question. I think you've been asked a ton. And everybody's asking a ton and I, I want to ask it too because you're going to get different answers which team benefits the most from being in this wonky division structure and I mean you could say a team like Toronto probably is the answer and I would agree but there might be another team and I have an answer in my head that I think is the answer but who, who is the team that benefited the most from being in this weird division structure that may not have otherwise if we were in a normal year yeah, I would have said Toronto if if that one wasn't kind of out front. And I think it's the low-hanging fruit on this that uh, they get the two top teams in their division out and it leaves them at the top. One team that um, 
I think benefited from the realignment, especially because it, it didn't hit right off the bat, is Minnesota winding yep, up. You said the in team the I West. was thinking of. Sure, okay. And I think um where they were, where they could have been was going to leave them probably on the outside of the playoff projection, looking in and hoping for some luck. But they wound up in a division where I think it's reasonable to say they're fourth best. And it's really only maybe Anaheim that's kind of hanging around to fight them for that playoff spot. Then they've got three teams that are probably bad. So Minnesota really uh, benefited from getting out of where they would have been. I would have had them projected maybe six that they had stuck in the central. They moved to the west and they've got a bunch of teams that are either a mess or rebuilding. So I think you and I are aligned there. I think it's probably, it could be them as much as the Leafs, because the Leafs were going to be a playoff team anyway, but the Wild might not have been, and now I think they might be. Well, the biggest benefit for the Leafs is they could say they won a playoff series this year. <laughs> I mean, I and had to say it. it. Let's the just see if it even happens. The playoff series drought in the NHL is going to end this year. The first longest probably won't. You see what team that is. Uh, and the team that got screwed the most, and I'm assuming it's a team in the... Um, Metropolitan Division sponsored by Mass Mutual, which is not the name of that division, but I'm going to call it that anyway. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, any team, if we're looking at um, the East, it's such a tight pack from top to bottom. And I think that any of those teams would be better off getting out of there. Um, but again, I, I keep coming back to this where it's frustrating to try to pick through this right now because we've never seen anything quite like it. So it's something that I'm still sort of just hedging against my own declarations of knowledge on it until we get some games and see what's happening. So let's, let's go into like the formulation of your season predictions then. Cause normally it's pretty straightforward. You, you run your models, you run your simulations and you have your lineup predictor tool. Obviously you can plug in players and see how it goes. How different was it to build a model this year considering how stupid the season is? Or is it just something where it's like, I can still plug in similar parameters. It's going to go the way it's going to go. And we're going to kind of, you said it's a lot of wait and see, but did you have to do anything on the back end to try and kind of change the way that the predictions worked out or the way you projected it this year? Because I've seen it with a lot of different models. You know, it looks similar, but I don't know whether anything behind the scenes ended up having to change. For me, to build it in the first place, looked similar so you know where i'm building the rosters the way i go about this i'm building the rosters player by player plugging them into how much they're likely to play what their impact would be and then generating a team strength that all lives independently so whether or not it's a intra-division only schedule or a normal schedule um, that part of the process stayed the same forecasting players to age one year and uh, the impact they're likely to have but then the place where it got crazy was playing them through the schedule of games that they're going to get and then only facing the same six or seven teams over and over. And so what it seemed to do, at least on my end, I won't speak for you know Evolving Wild or Micah or Dom, um, you know, some of the other people that are running this sort of thing. What I found was that the variance was higher. Normally, um, if you're looking at people's preseason predictions, anyone who's trying to sort of take a math swing at it, you'll see a standard deviation of six or seven standings points. So a team is likely to be at the number we say, but then, you know, plus or minus uh, three wins, something like that. For me, I found that it was getting even higher than that, that I had teams of a standard deviation of, say, nine. And what that just for me means is... I'm less certain 
about what that median or average result for each team is, I can see them being as much as four or five wins better or worse than what I'm coming up with. It's just a really wide range, a big error bar. And so I think at least we're all in this together. We're all sticking our necks out together, making these predictions. But normally, um, you know, there's sort of a group think that can nail most of these teams and hockey Twitter is pretty good at figuring out who's going to be who. I think this could be a year where we're wrong a lot and it's a little horrifying to stare it down from the beginning of the season and know that it's out there. But I think we'll see a lot of variance from it. Well, there's also like the, the, the nightly predictions, you know, like the, the folks, you and Money Puck who do that. And I love those. But again, it's like you don't know what these predictions could be because you could be facing a team on the second end of a back-to-back who you've already played them the night before, very AHL. Or in the case of some teams, you're going to play a team three straight times in a row. We never see that in the NHL. You see back-to-backs, you see homes and homes, but never anything like this. So even like daily predictions are going to look b- totally bizarre. You know? And that's another thing. It's like you, we're kind of going into the crossing the Rubicon. We really don't know what we're going to see. And I, and I have to ask, is there any team where this, this, uh, this prediction, this range, this, where it could be like 10 points different up or down, is there any team where that feels like is that best elucidates like just how wild the outcomes could be this year? Um, I think the ones that came up for me were bad teams mostly. So um, the Blackhawks, I'm really uncertain. I wound up at 51 or 52. I wound up right in between standings points for them. So that's looking at a maybe 20 win season. um, If we assume just sort of an average number of overtime losses for them, but their error bar was really, really large. And that's because we're taking a few fixtures of their roster out, plugging in a bunch of unknowns, and then playing them in this division that has um, some real separation between the top sort of couple of teams and then the bottom. And so they're one that just kept popping out as this could be a really, really historically bad team, possibly. They don't have, they might not even have an AHL tandem in net, let alone an NHL tandem in net. Um, They lost. Taves, who's you know been one of their biggest fixtures over the past decade, and so for me trying to project how this team's going to perform, really really tricky. If some of the guys that they brought in, you know, perform well, if DeBrincat were to sort of rise up a little bit or, or have a really productive season, maybe they get ahead of the Red Wings. Maybe they cause some trouble for the Panthers and move themselves up in the standings. Um, or, you know, the bottom could completely drop out. They don't have any goaltending at all, and they wind up at 15 wins. So um, they were sort of typified it, but teams like the Coyotes, the Senators, um, the Buffalo Sabres, a few of the teams at the bottom of the divisions, their range seemed wider to me, Um, and I think it's just because uh, there's some uncertainty in their rosters about how good their players really are. That's fascinating. I would have thought it would have been a team in the middle. You know, I would have thought it would have been a team like a team that's literally about like just Columbus or the Islanders or, you know, one of those teams in the in the East Division that are just a flat bubble team. I thought they would have had the most variation, not the bad team. So it's like maybe you're not awful or OK, you're the expansion thrashers kind of level bad, <laughs> you know, and, that, yeah. and I wouldn't have expected that. Just think right, about I, it. I, I think that makes a lot of sense, too. Maybe that's what we see. The East will be the place that your theory on this would really play out. I don't have much separation um, for anything from the Penguins down to the Sabres. The only team I think is ahead of the pack is the Bruins there. And so, and even then, you could argue that they're not because they're injured. Sure. 
Yeah, and, sure. Yeah, right. Without Pasternak to start and, and the Marchand blue line looks possibly, different. It's like you, you really don't know. And that's the and that's what I was when I we exercised this a little bit on the last show. I'm like, oh, Boston's going to be hurt for most of this. Yep. So I'm like, yep. oh, the Penguins acquired Mike Matheson. That's an immediate demerit. You can't do that. So <laughs> then I'm like, oh, is the best team the Flyers? And I'm reading predictions. Like some people have them fourth. And I'm like, I really yep. am confused. So that means like my predictions are always bad. I always do something really stupid in them. But this year, it's going to be even stupider. So I have to talk about I – mean, this is a Panthers podcast, so I do need to ask about the Panthers. And it's, and it's fascinating because I, I keep going in my head. I don't think they're a playoff team, but I think they could be fifth. I think they could be better than one team. And I've said repeatedly that that team is Nashville because I don't trust their coach. But for a team like that, and there are a lot of teams like that in the league this year, you know – Florida could be Bobrovsky goes on a heater and they make the playoffs because he got red hot and that's the end of that. But also it's one of those things where, I mean, even for a prediction, like I see them in a range, like they're either sixth or fifth, but even then I can see some people who are like, okay, this, this team's intriguing or yikes, you know, there, there's that, there's that little mix. And even for a team like Florida, which has a less, uh, has a lesser range of outcomes, I would say from like fourth to sixth, maybe seventh, if it goes completely wrong, which could, you know, that's even more. Cause normally I would predict the Panthers every year at, all right, here's 88 points. They're 11th in the draft lottery. And that's the end of that. I don't have to do any work, you know, <laughs> but this year for a team like them, it's even, and, and I think another team like that is Arizona. Cause I'm like, Oh, they're going to be garbage this year. And then some people have them fifth in the, in the, Pacific, I'm like, what? Like this, or, or West, whatever the division's called. You know, that's another one of those things where it, it feels kind of weird to me. Even those teams that are, like, the wrong side of mediocre are kind of having those, you know, those wider outcomes. You know, because, like, you could make it convincing. Like, for a while, I thought, okay, maybe San Jose is going to make the playoffs. And I'm hearing somebody talk about it and going, okay, maybe not. Or then, then Arizona's better than I – like, Arizona could be one of the worst teams in the league. It's like you're going through all these possibilities, and it feels so different because – the league does a good job in really creating this. I don't want to say it, it is parody, but when the season goes out, you feel like, okay, the right teams are where they should be. Some teams are a bit above or below, but this year it's, it, it's just, it doesn't feel like even for a team like again, Florida or Arizona or any of these teams, maybe Buffalo too would fall into that. Like it, it might not feel like this is the right season. So like we feel more than ever before, like we could see a 2013 style Maple Leafs, like unjust playoff team. And, you know, it was like, oh, the division screwed you over kind of thing. Like, it feels like a, it feels more like a lockout shortened season when you were only playing in your conference as opposed to any real NHL year. But even then, it feels even less like that because at least that year you played your whole conference as opposed to this. Yeah. And, and I think pointing to the lockout season is a really uh, sort of smart place to start. And we saw PDO at its highest variance. Uh, in the modern stats era in that season, which makes sense because we didn't get uh, that extra sort of 25 games to help averages that return to that regress to the mean over time that didn't have time to regress. And so we'll almost certainly see outliers on both sides. Some team that goes on a heater and uh, really overperforms their metrics and sneaks into the playoffs and a team that just completely bottoms out. There's going to be a couple of those and there's no way really to look at this and project that doesn't carry over at the team level from year to year. So, you know, it's tempting to say Carolina won't get any shooting or Montreal won't get any saves or 
or whatever some of these tropes are, but we don't know that year over year. And so it's going to show up and it's going to drag some team up and we'll get narrative street and it'll drag some team down. We'll do the same thing. We'll explain how their locker room fell apart or whatever, but it'll really just be the, the variance of what can happen when you don't play enough games. And I think, or you uh, don't play anybody. Sure. And, and I think, if I'm the Coyotes or just some of these teams that you tipped your cap to, if I'm a team like the Coyotes, I would trade Derek Steppen. I would let Taylor Hall walk and I would tank this season. They're not going to play in front of very many fans. Maybe, you know, they're trying to start with some fans, but um, not going to play in front of a lot of people. It's not going to be a lot of booze. Uh, you're not going to have a lot of revenue anyway. This is the year to just totally bottom out. Well, the problem is they don't have a first round pick and that kind of sure. screws them. But I like, and, and, and I say this for Florida because it's, it's that weird team where like they have everybody made, if you've made your attendance jokes, congrats, please close your app. You've somebody's made that joke before you <laughs> yeah. no. get new material guys. Jerry Seinfeld's <laughs> making a joke about airline food still. No, um, but even then, but I mean, Florida, it's different because you have a different kind of dynamic with the new GM as opposed to Arizona. But like, what what is there what unseen factor other than I guess the obvious which is we could have COVID postponements and we already have those and they have all in Florida, you know what is that one unseen factor that you think could tip the season? I mean other than the obvious somebody like the team gets COVID and they're forced to play with an AHL roster kind of thing, but is there another unseen factor that we're that we're missing that we'll end up looking back on in April and be like why didn't we see that before? Yeah, I think maybe it, we've sort of brushed past this a couple of times. But one thing I really wonder about is drawing on the NBA, which is sort of seeing, you know, going through the problems, going through a similar sort of schedule rollout in a way right now with their back-to-backs or baseball-style series there too, that I think teams, especially uh, you're thinking of the Leafs, for example, that have quite a few veterans or Washington, the Capitals, who have quite a number of older players on the roster – that we might see a scenario where teams game plan to run a certain lineup on the first night, and they're going to run a different lineup the second night purposely. So those sort of rest rosters on back-to-backs, where we get one version of a team one night, and then you run a completely different version of your team on the second night, as much as you can control flipping over that roster. And that would help, in a sense, by giving you some unpredictability game-to-game. It would let you go Kawhi Leonard with you know, uh, the Joe Thorntons and Ovechkins of the world if you need to, to give them rest in a condensed schedule. But from the perspective of predicting games in a night-by-night way, I think it's that lineup composition is really going to loom even larger than it normally does is I think that we're going to see load management factored in. And it's kind of a change of pace for teams too to not throw the same look two nights in a row. So I think we might look back uh, in the playoffs and say that's kind of an interesting uh, detail that came up this season that we don't normally see, but I'm just sort of spitballing at that one. But I find that interesting too, because again, if your team like Florida, who has only seven back to backs and they normally lead the league in back to backs, like you feel like you'd have to do that less, you know, in air quotes, as opposed to a team that has a higher number of back to backs. Or, you know, if you're a team like, you know, the Panthers are a younger in air quotes team, they're not that old, but like also I find it with goaltending. Because we've seen these goaltending tandems, right, that have propagated everywhere. But and then, like, does it benefit you to do goaltending tandems in a year where you're not really playing all that much anyway, or does it benefit you if you're a team that has a clear one A? You know, like Florida, for instance, is the most obvious example of that, or a team like Anaheim is another one. Like, is this a year where one A one B actually 
doesn't mean much because in, in the years past it has. And it's, it's obviously going to, it's not going anywhere. But for a year like this, does it actually, will it maybe benefit a team to have just a one guy? And if it gets a 10 game heater, then that's, you know, that changes your season as opposed to, you know, on the night when you're doing a Western Canadian road trip and you can drop in somebody, you know, or like you're doing a Midwest road trip. Oh, I can drop in my backup. They're playing the Red Wings tonight. You know, like that's another thing I've been thinking about. And I asked because I really do wonder if like teams with, you know, with actually one goaltender this year, maybe that makes more sense because they could easier get into a rhythm. And this year, if you get into a rhythm, that's a fourth of your season. Yeah, I think I can see that going both ways. Uh, thinking of some of the examples as you're pointing around, somebody like Frederick Anderson, they're going to have to, in Toronto, play their backup because he's shown time and again that getting past a certain percentage of starts uh, wears him right down. And the Leafs have done that to him a few times. And that's why they have three backups about the same caliber there to rotate through. And so I think they're going to have to proceed with that tandem in this condensed schedule. But someone like Bobrovsky is the prototypical goalie on a hot streak kind of player. And I think, you know, maybe there is something to what you're saying where if Bobrovsky gets rolling and we've seen him do this in the past, really put a team on his back. He did that for two years in a row in Columbus. If he gets hot and you can run with him and you can bank, you know, maybe you go on a two-week winning spree where you got six or seven wins because he heats right up, that could be a season maker for you too. And so um, I think it is it is individual, team by team, based on the goalie characteristic. But, you know, Florida Panthers podcast here. But Broski is one of those people, if I was saying, here's a top-end person who can probably benefit from getting hot and then staying in that zone. He's one of those players that I would point to. So, you know, hopefully we see a return to that form from him. Um, I think that there's a good chance that we do see a much better version of him this year. But it is a bit of a, a forecast based on the way it's gone so far in Florida. Well, yeah, but I mean, he doesn't have to play behind Mike Matheson anymore. I'm sorry. I ha- <laughs> it's a running. I have to do it. I don't get a chance to do it now because the Penguins and Panthers don't play. So uh, we'll get you start to wrapping this up, of course. And you're providing all this great information as always. I want to ask some general questions. Just what team are you most fascinated by this year for whatever reason, because of this unique situation in most 82 game seasons, we're fascinated by some teams, but you know, you might not want to watch them. You know, is there a team that most fascinates you for one reason or another? Like, okay, I'm going to watch this team. I want to see how this goes. Maybe it's the division they're in. Maybe it's here's a, like maybe they're all of the, like their management's under pressure and this season you know, maybe we make rash decisions based on a season like this, even though we really shouldn't. Is there any one team that's like, okay, I want to see them. I want to see how this season affects them personally, as opposed to, you know, any other. Sure. I can think of, you know, a dozen, but uh, one that popped to mind right away when you asked this was the Hurricanes. The reason I'm really fascinated by them, besides the fact that they're kind of the analytics darling team. And so, you know, anybody's stats, he kind of gets drawn there. They've really suffered through different versions of underperformance because of stats that aren't really your fault. We've seen them undershoot uh, all the scoring opportunities they create. We've seen them struggle to get the saves that they should have gotten. As I'm projecting them forward, I have them as a 68-point team right now, so that would be a 100-point pace in a regular year. I have them trailing the Lightning but sticking right with them to challenge for the division win in the central. And so for me, I'm really fascinated to see 
this is a team that's suffered bad luck in the past at five on five. They're a better shooting team than they seem to be, than their reputation suggests. They've got a number of players like Svechnikov and Aho uh, who really can shoot. They're a, a deep roster on defense as well. And then they have that tandem goaltending that I think will work for most teams. So I'm really excited to see, you know, if they get on a hot streak, do they totally reinvent how we picture them in, you know, sort of publicly? And can they go on a run and maybe challenge for the division? And then a, a similar team, but a, a second one I'd point out is the Montreal Canadiens. I was going to say that. I was yeah. going to say I'm fascinated by that team. And it's sure. because the Panthers don't have to play them that I could think about it. Because <laughs> they, they used all their cap space. They did all these things. Yeah. They play a good style, but nobody yeah. could do anything for them. And then they beat the Penguins. They gave the Flyers a run for their money. But how much of that was, did Carey Price just have one last gas? Did Shea Weber have one last gas? You know what I mean? Like yep. that, That's another team that I'm just, I'm eminently fascinated by. And we're going to hear it every night because they play only Canadian teams. You know, like some people, had, I saw some prediction we had them winning the division. I'm like, okay, maybe not that. But part of me is also like, I, I don't trust them because I haven't trusted them in years past. And then they do what they did in the bubble. So that, that's another team I'm, I'm eminently fascinated by this year. Right. I, I completely agree. And I think it was evolving wild. The Twins had them uh, to win this division just ahead of the Leafs. That's not out of uh, out of the realm of possibility at all. Such a fun team to to describe. Basically, anything I said about the Hurricanes, you can kind of port over here, and it applies. Um, and so, you know, Carey Price is getting some buzz on Twitter.com right now because GMs are saying he's the best goalie in the league still, despite the fact that he hasn't had the stats I to hope back Bill that Bill Zito up. didn't say that. <laughs> you know, we've 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 yeah. evolved in Florida. Yeah. They're they're hiring. Well, maybe he did because he hired somebody from Sport Logic. But anyway, it's possible he did that just to appease somebody who now works for him. But I hope he didn't. Yeah, and so, I, you know, Carey Price, the last time we saw him, Carey Price was a world beater who looked like old Carey Price. Is is he the kind of player that, because this, there's been extra rest, there's been extra layoff, he's healthier, he's had a chance to recharge, we see vintage Carey Price? It's possible. Is it possible that he's aged extra because they've been in such a long layoff? That's possible, too. So um, they're one that just, they have my attention because it's a division that has a lot of space to move up if they are good and they certainly are acting like a contender the way they spent money and brought players in mm -hmm. there i'm trying to think of another team that like obviously i follow the panthers and i follow them much more than normal human beings should the one thing about the hurricanes that I, i've been thinking about a lot is a lot of their recent additions have just been bleh or they played bleh. We don't have a big sample size. And I think about it with Vincent Trocek, who basically in Carolina is the, oh, I'm the last guy in celebrating on the goal that I had nothing to do with. You know, and I feel bad because I like him. But, like, if Carolina's ceiling to me is higher if those Brady Shea, Jake Gardner, Trocek play up to what we think they can be. And if they don't, like, I wonder what that means for the Hurricanes. Because I'm going to see it eight times this year, and I'll see it a lot in the division. Like, are those kinds of players going to be able to be what they need to take the step up? You know, and that's the same thing with with Montreal. I I want I wonder about the Hurricanes because they could, but also they could win the division because Tampa probably at some point will just be like, I don't care. I got to play the Red Wings again. You know, like like that's the other yeah. thing. Like, could they win the division because the Lightning literally go on autopilot? Yeah, you know, yeah, and you know. I, I think the Lightning, we might see some Kansas City Chiefs, uh, you know, for a football reference here. We might see some of that where it's like we've got to win enough to get into the playoffs, but 
they're not expecting oh, Kucherov back. Like they could sh- like not play for two periods and be like, okay, now we have to turn it on. Yep. You know, I, I mean, it's great to be that good. But yep. also the difference is the differences with that is also like when you look at the other best teams in the league, they're in the same division. They're going to play each other every night. So like, I don't think Vegas and Colorado are going to do that when they're playing each other, obviously, but maybe they do that when they play the Kings, you know, like, could you, could you see like variants in a top team just because like, all right, we're taking the night off. We, we just, nah, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. yeah maybe, yeah. maybe tonight. So absolutely. who, I mean, dumb predictions are dumb, but I have to end it on dumb predictions. Where do you see this season fall? You said like you can see. You said you see Tampa, Toronto, Boston winning their divisions. That wouldn't be a surprise. Uh, I I think I haven't seen a lot of Stanley Cup predictions yet, but I I, I have my answer, and I think most people are gonna wouldn't disagree with this prediction. But if you had to predict, just just gut feeling, and based on obviously all that you know, like who. Who is who is the team you think will win it? Because I, I think we all are going to have a very similar answer to this. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I hesitate. Like I, I have five answers at the tip of my tongue here. I think it's easy for me to pick one of my division winners. So that's Tampa, Boston, Vegas, Toronto. There's a real sort of this is Toronto's year. Um, but as somebody who's grown up in that area and in that market, that's something that I'm just not ever very likely to believe. I don't think they'll ever win a Stanley Cup again, most likely. So um, I, I think I'm going to go off my own board a little bit and say it wouldn't surprise me if at the end of this year we're congratulating the Colorado Avalanche. That's who I was going to pick. Sure. I was going to pick the Avs. Yeah. And it's, it's think, part of it is because, like, again, they were so injured at the end yeah. of that. Yeah. And they still made it to Game 7 overtime with Michael Hutchinson and Nett, who had an 850 save percentage at one point for Florida or something like that. And they, and they were so injured, and they still nearly won. Like, this this kind of feels like a year where, if it's anybody, like, they could just dump truck the entire league. And yep. nobody would be surprised. And that's who I think. I, I, if I had to predict it right now, that's who I would predict. I think that's I a just, really good one. I just I, – and another team that, I mean, a lot of people would be happy to, to see win because they did it all the right way. Um, I think the – the I'm trying to th- – like, it could be – it definitely could be the Leafs. And, I mean, if they make it to the Final Four, congratulations to Sportsnet on all your money. That, that would be nice. Um, a penny for NBC's thoughts having to deal with the Canadian team in the Final Four guaranteed. Um, however, I think it's – feels to me like it'll be the abs. Now, what is your one, to get you out of here, of course, what is your one bold prediction, if you have a bold prediction, that you're willing to go out on the hill on, that you'll be willing to get freezing cold takes by in May? Ooh, okay. Um, let me combine two then. This isn't the way I have it projected, but here's my, you know, shooting my shot. My bold prediction will be, the Senators' challenge for a playoff spot in the North. Wow. And the Oilers find themselves on the outside in the North. So, you know, I'm well, talking about Well, I don't have Edmonton making so. the playoffs either. That's not as sure. bold, but okay. I, I don't trust the Oilers. But the Senators? I mean, yep. the team that said, yes, I want Eric Goodbranson. I want Josh Brown. And I will pay things for that. Yeah, I mean, so let's uh, – at the end of the year, uh, maybe we can hook back up and we can discuss the narrative street for how the, the locker room came together around a shared cause. Matt Murray found his game in Ottawa, and it's a team that sneaks into oh, that I'll just say spot. it's Evgeny Dadnoff. I'll just say that because <laughs> sure, I like him sure. a lot. So I, exactly, I mean, I'll just yeah. say I'll just say it's, it's all him. Sean, of course, most people already follow you, but where can people find your work if they do not? 
Sure. So I'm on Twitter uh, at Charting Hockey. You can find me there, tweeting out all sorts of stuff all the time, and um, I keep uh, all of my charts at ChartingHockey.ca, and so you can check out there to see the uh, daily stream of charts that we're about to get started with again. And when I get my stimulus check from the government, I will be able to pay for your Patreon for the first time. And I appreciate you, but even if you can't, I just appreciate your eyeballs on the site anytime you can. I, of course I do that. I've used your stuff a lot when I write, and uh, it's been invaluable to me. And we're all smarter by having these people still working publicly, because it feels like, well, some people are still staying public for the good of the public hockey discourse, and I appreciate people that do that. And thank you, Sean, again. We will talk to you soon. Happy hockey season. Happy hockey season. Thanks for having me on. Hope you enjoyed the first two portions of this podcast with David and Sean. Always great to talk to those two of my good friends in this uh, little world of hockey podcasting we do. And uh, now, hello, Mr. Kulikowski. I do want to mention, first of all, that the David stuff was recorded last Thursday. This is being released like a week after that was recorded. And Sean was recorded Sunday. So if you're wondering why certain questions were not asked, it's because things evolved after I recorded that. Uh, and we will get to some of those in a moment. But, Tommy, uh, we have... New written content at Y Hockey. It is back from the dead with the Y Hockey Substack. That's correct, yeah. So no more yhockey.com, but there's a yhockey.substack.com and a yhockeyprospects.substack.com and yhockeyflyers, yhockeyavs, yhockeycats. So a substack for each of your needs one for the podcast one for prospects one for each of the teams because uh, i know there's a lot of colorado fans who are not going to want to hear or get emails about uh florida nonsense and i understand that i would not want that either i barely want it now it's true because one team's going to win the stanley cup and the other's just you know Fingers crossed, fingers crossed, but uh, it's exciting. Uh, Matt O'Brien, uh, Obi is uh, one of is the one of our co-founders uh, of Y Hockey, and he's kind of coming back from his sabbatical uh, to do more Panthers and Flyers writing and and stuff uh, and helping with the prospects. Um, I mean, he's the guy who brought Rupa Hentz to my attention in his draft year, and and we've seen how that's worked out. And Jesper Brad is another guy that he. He was really big on when he was helping me do the do the prospect rankings and stuff. So he's going to be a really big uh, addition for this year where um, you're not going to get a lot of viewings and what you do see is going to be limited. So an extra pair of eyes and an extra brain to pick and an opinion uh, is going to matter a lot. Um, uh, and I want to I, mention firstly, if you liked what we had written for Rat Trick, Rip the Rat Trick, uh, that's going to be on the Panthers substack basically from now on. When I have something to write about the Panthers, that's where it's going to go. So in case people were wondering that. And if I have anything else to add, I could write it the, in any number of these places. But that's where it's going from the time being. And I do want to say all of them are free, except when we get to draft time. We have to make you pay for the draft guide because Tommy's work cannot yes. go to waste. So well, that's... And, we, you know, it's not going to be, you know, it, it, we're talking like maybe two cups of coffee, a cup of coffee. We're not talking for the God. We're not talking, you know, something crazy. So. No, we'll, and I we'll mean, I think, like, I think for that kind of work, because there is more that goes into it, uh, yeah. But at, at the yeah. moment, and, everything and else is it, We're not know, putting we're a podcast not, behind a paywall. Don't worry. Yeah, and we're not, you know, using it to 
throw a party or anything or, or you know, just spend the money. It w- if we would to get any money from it, uh, hopefully we would. Uh, hopefully we'd sell some guides. Uh, it, w- it would go to pay for, like, watching European games and stuff in legal manners more. And investing, think- investing more back into this so yeah. that we can, we can do more stuff. It's not, it's not going into our pockets. Not like, we're getting stimulus checks for that reason. Um, but anyway, the, the point is, so you keep, keep an eye on all of that. Um, there is a lot of coming with this about three teams draft, a lot of cool stuff. So yes, the Y hockey Substack is a place to go. Yes. We are now joining the, let's see, kind of heard the one, everybody who has a Substack now, cause everybody has one. Yeah. It felt like the right time. Uh, you know, whenever we got we a are, podcast, we are literally we piggybacking off of a very bad trend. Yeah, I mean, but, like, you if know, you see somebody has left right. a journalistic outlet recently, you know where their writing's going? It's a Substack. It's like Blogger. It's, it's like Blogger in 2005, basically. I'll take it. I know. I will, too. Um, there's a lot of good Substacks out there, and I hope you will be reading. Ours will have Y Hockey. You'll, you'll see it on the accounts. We'll post it, and if there's something again to talk about, we'll talk and, about and, it. You know, each team is going to have uh, a season intro which will contain within it a, a prospect rankings, and then obviously that prospect ranking will be broken out into a separate piece so you can digest it a little easier um, as well. So if you're an Avs, you know, if you're a Panthers fan, we it should be with, you know, the delay kind of gave us a little more time to, to get that together, so you'll see it around the weekend. Uh, but, you know, Panther or the Flyers and Avs ones are, are live on their sub stacks, so... Mm-hmm. We're excited for all of that, and we get to watch both of those teams. We're recording this Wednesday afternoon of the day of the season starting, so we get to watch both of those today, which I'm very excited. Get to turn on NBCSN, watch soccer, and then I get to watch hockey. I don't have to change the channel all day, which is great. Uh, let's get to all these things that we didn't have a chance to talk about in the first two interviews, which were great, by the way. I love those two guys. It's one of my favorite things to do with this podcast is to still being able to talk to people like that. Interview shows are going to continue, by the way. We'll see how often they happen because of the way the season's going. But I still plan on doing them uh, for uh, many different reasons, many different stories to get to around this season. Uh, The Panthers, when I recorded that with David, I always thought that this was going to be an interesting year. And then it got a lot more interesting. Things went from zero to 100 very fast. Uh, It started with them claiming two defensemen off of waivers, uh, Gustav Forsling and Noah Juleson. I'm going, okay, so Bill Zito doesn't really like his defense core with the Panthers, which is perfectly acceptable because we didn't really either. Uh, then it became clear that Marcus Dudivar was actually unfit to play, and I'm going to assume, based on the way the NHL is doing this, that there is COVID related to this. That's my guess. So he's probably not playing for at least short order. But then we realized that there was actually even more to it than that because the Panthers are trying to freeze out Keith Yandel, and there is a lot to this. It, it's something that we, you kind of heard like one little whisper. It was somebody on TSN, I forget who, whether it was Fridge or Saravalli or somebody, said it like on a TSN radio saying like, oh yeah, I've heard, you know, that, you know, Yandel might be a scratch and they might be using the Iron Man streak as kind of a stick to get him out of there. Um, and I don't know how you feel about that, but that's something that we've talked about in the past as being an option and an option that Florida should pursue. And a lot of people said it was just impossible because of the no movement clause and, you know, a lot of pretty, you know, reason, good reasons to to be honest with you. But 
you know, we always said it was a lack of desire that was stopping it. And you see with a new coach uh, and, you know, who's, you know, Quinville's only been here a year. Uh, so he's assessed Yandel for, for a year. And, you know, Zito, a new general manager, that desire is now there. Um, and, you know, it's the, Talon talked about building a new culture and everything. And I think some of the reasons, the main reason this is happening is a culture reason, not so much an on ice. Even well, I think on ice definitely sense. has something to do yeah. with it because, yeah, I but, mean, Yandel, as we know, by the end of last season was playing third pair minutes, even strength. Like, right. he was not somebody you could play even strength at any sort of meaningful minutes and he was still good for his power play but at this point you don't want to have Yandel on your roster because you're playing him 12 minutes a night you know even strength and he gets first power play like that's not really the way you should do it I think I think though you're not going to do this aggressive move heading into the season um, with somebody if you weren't really trying to get them away from the locker room. Um, and, and I think that is kind of why I bring it back to culture. Uh, this is very much get, you know, it's not just about they don't want to play him. It, it seems to be this is a getting him out of the team. And and I think, you know, it having that lax personality, having someone that breaks the ice and, you know, it, is – kind of always goofball and locker room clown type thing like that's useful and it can be successful and it can lead to a lot of things but it needs to have the right mix and it just hasn't worked here and it's time to move on and I don't think you can really put the yandle back in the bottle I mean I, I think it's kind of one of those things where you can't just like take the letter off yandle or like you know tell him to be a little muted or something like that it does you know, you you have to physically remove him for it to really change and be, I think, a more serious and more driven and motivating place that Zito wants it to be. You know, I think that's his mentality and demeanor has come across pretty much that. I mean, not that he doesn't have fun and not that he can't, you know, he's not light and stuff, but he... Um, I think you know, there's an element I, I think that maybe tough. as you bring it up, it's it's like you kind of want that guy to not be one of the people wearing an A if you're going to do this leadership or, stuff. You know what I mean? You, you, you at least need that voice above him in the locker room, and there is no voice above him. I mean, for better or for worse, whether the C was on Ekblad, Barkov, or Huberto, um, you know, I don't think that they would ha- have that credibility in the locker room just based on the tenure Yandel's had in the league and in that locker room already to, you know, effectively manage Yandel's personality. Well, well, what's interesting about this is that we're seeing this happen now, which, again, at a time when it would be almost even more impossible to move Keith Yandel than it was when we were talking about this when the world was normal. But the fact that it's happening now is That's, a sign to me of, of a couple things. First of all, it's a sign of a clean break from what the Panthers were, just on ice in terms of defensemen. We yelled about puck rushers for years, and uh, that, that era is over now. It, it's done. Now, it's not that puck rushers are bad. It's just that the entire Panthers' defense being Keith Yandel clones is done. And that is a good change because it needed to happen sooner, and it is happening now. And it is not as if Bill Zito has the defense core I think that he wants necessarily in here, but... He's trying to transition this defense core into something different, and we're going to see what that is. 
But the second thing that this is a transition towards, it is a clear sign to me that there is alignment in the organization about what you're very want to do going forward. Because you can't pull this with Keith Yandel, a player of this stature, of this tenure, unless your coaching staff and your front office are very much simpatico on and obviously owner staff as well and yeah everything like it in the pandemic they might be paying him a lot of money to sit on the bench to hopefully get him to wave a clause at the end of the year you know what i mean like paying a lot less than what the salary cap would indicate contracts are you know are backloaded at this point but still i mean yeah to me it signifies that what bill zito and and joel quenville are doing are they're working in tandem lockstep now why i mentioned this is very interesting is because when the Panthers were doing their GM search, we heard a lot of rumors about Quenville possibly leaving uh, to go somewhere because, again, he came to Florida because of Dale Talon. Now we forget that Joel Quenville had a frosty relationship with Stan Bowman for many years, and based on early indications, he does not seem to have has nearly a frosty relationship with Bill Zito. Again, based on those early indications, it seems like those two are very much on the same wavelength. So it, it is a big change in this organization to go from what they were and of course remember Dale Talon did not sign Keith Yandel and I have no doubt at some point he tried to move him but it was impossible and in this case with a new GM and Joel Quenville saying yeah I'm okay with this let's let's do this it is a big change in the way this organization is run philosophically on the ice and off the ice and it's a bold step Now, do I think he's going to actually get traded? No, because there's not really anywhere for him to go. The only places he could go are basically Buffalo or New Jersey, anywhere with cap space. And I'm not sure any of those teams are interested in making that move. But even if he doesn't get moved this year, uh, he is not a Panther next year. I would not be surprised if the Panthers had to offer some sort of inducement for Seattle to take him next year. Like, that is a scenario we could see. But whatever the case may be, he is not a Panther beyond this summer. Whenever the season ends, however it ends... He is not a Panther beyond this summer. This is the end of his tenure. And I, and I, again, I don't mind jovial, joking personalities, and I don't think Keith Yandel is a bad person by any stretch of the imagination. But when you're trying to transform an organization from what it was to what it is, you know, you, you, when you're a player like Keith Yandel, even though he has that tenure and the gravitas and the contract, like, that is what ha- Like, we've seen other teams do this. Right? This is not new in the NHL when you try to basically freeze out players like this. And if this was not Florida, this would be a lot bigger of a story. Imagine if this was happening in Philadelphia, for instance. But it is so fascinating that it is happening now. And I, I don't, I, I, you can't say what it means yet because we don't know where this ends. But it is a fascinating development to see that the Panthers are doing this. And they're probably going to be successful at it because they're not getting a lot of blowback. And the comments from Keith Yandelar... You know, I want to play. It, it doesn't seem like there's this, like, bubbling anger under the surface, and there's not an undercurrent that had been, like, floating around the Panthers the last couple of years, just the on-ice stuff and to the, to the off-ice. Like, it seems like it's being handled professionally in a way that means you can make the pill go down a little bit easier, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it helps that Yandel, there's, I think when Yandel's on the ice, he knows that there's, you know, D that are roughly better than him or, you know, to his pace, as competitive as he is. I mean, it's not like other years where there weren't that those defenders. Um, but, I mean, you're looking at him being, you know, ninth or tenth on the list and sixth play. So, I mean, he's far from making the team. And I think at that point he can kind of uh, – he kind of sees it coming. And then you bring in a guy like Noah Juleson – 
Uh, now, who, by the way, in case people are wondering, he's probably not going to play for a while for because he crossed the border, and now it's usually over, crazy yeah, going over. to Canada from the U.S., but in the other way, there's, there's definitely quarantine procedures that are happening with him, so don't expect to yeah. see him for a while. Forsling was but playing for one, Carolina, so it was easier. But um, once he's here, that's one spot further down the lineup. Yeah, and then there's also, big. of course, like what other defensemen in the camp were going to have their chance to play. You know, like, right. and, and keeper who seems to have that similar skill set of I'm very poised with the puck almost to make you want to scream at the TV, but you know I get away with it sort of thing. Like, you know, if you have if you have a third pair version of that in keeper, you know that pushes you under even further down the line. You know, like so. I understand it, and you know it's one sign. You brought up a great point of how this is just a huge break in what we're used to with Florida. There's there's other signs. I think Hippo Niemi being on the fifth line this late in the camp, I saw him on the fifth line center today. He was on the he was apparently according to Panthers management last year, he was struggling the AHL on the fourth line, and he had a long way to go, and you know it wasn't looking good for him. You know, what a difference just, you know, new eyes make, uh, you know, because that's a big jump. Well, there's uh, also, I think, there's also something else make. interesting about, yeah, like he is on the taxi squad. Brady Keeper's on the taxi squad. It seems like they might be signing Kevin Connaughton, who's the guy who played for them in Columbus. Yeah, I think they is, did because they he was on waivers. He was on with, waivers. Now, he's uh, a perfect taxi squad defenseman once the Panthers get healthy. And again, he's not going to be here for the long term. But it just shows you how Bill Zito's trying to, remake this defense score and it shows you just how much they don't think he handled it's amazing how this has changed and again i i don't want to besmudge anybody because it's like i made jokes about mike mathis and at times i feel bad and i know he's a good person and i know that hockey it just didn't work here but this is the the kind of scenario that i was like we needed to see a full change in the defense core and the panthers are doing it now again these are all one year like stop gaps they're not anything and I was going to, for the last couple of days, as I was thinking about what this podcast was going to be, what our, when we talked about this, uh, like talking about Pierre-Luc Dubois, talking about the Panthers were apparently interested in signing to Dano Char, which after the moves you are seeing them make, that makes total sense to me and is not a shock. And I'm surprised, honestly, they didn't pull it off. He went to Washington instead. Um, and well, I think Washington had a little, you know, I think that air, you know, like Zidano, if he's going to live somewhere for a year... I don't know if he wanted to be more in like a Boston type. I think he wanted, maybe he wanted to be closer to home. But and like then, you can you can understand based on everything Austin we've seen back. in the last couple of days why the Panthers would have been heavily interested in signing Chara. Like mm-hmm. it is a typical Panthers yeah. move in that they've always done Yacht Lager and Luongo were very much like this. But also they know that you know like he would have played, he would have been on this team and would have had a, a meaningful role, uh, which is interesting. Now I wanted to talk about you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois and Patrick Laine, because they're both in trade rumors, and obviously there would be links to both can, of them. Can, I, the can I just finish up with Yandel real quick? Oh, yes, of course. Um, the, you know, just last thing is, I think from Yandel's perspective, he understands how much power he has in this situation, and if he wants to keep this Iron Man streak going, there might be a negotiation. I mean, the way this is playing out, I'm, and, the way, and the fact that Zito was a player agent and would understand a lot of, you know, Yandel's perspective... I wouldn't be surprised if they're saying, listen, if you wave at when we need it, if you sign something now saying you'll, you, you've essentially torn up your no movement clause and will wave to like 
whatever and to these parameters we'll keep playing you until that happens we have something lined up you know even if it's like we'll play you through the year to get you through this year so you keep that streak going or you know i wouldn't be surprised if it's yeah i don't think he's gonna get scratched i think he's gonna play for the time being or or you know i also think that um he he also understands that he's going to go into a market, probably Boston or a you know a city like Seattle. You know, like, yeah, and he's going to he be perfect probably, for Seattle. He really but, would be perfect. Think, like that's the kind of player that you need on an expansion team to get people. Like Keith Yandel has the personality just, that would fit. Just to, just to finish my point is, I think he's the type of person who's very cognizant of his legacy and how fan bases view players and i don't think i don't think he would want to come into a situation with baggage of drama or whatever so i think he is going to say the right things i mean i think you know he comes from a family that's involved in the nhl and stuff he knows the hockey men and stuff i think he's going to play the game work everything out back door you know behind the scenes and you know utilize his leverage to go where he needs to go and move on and i think that's how it's going to play out and you know you're right florida is going to get by because they're a small market team and you know in the past well, also because again not... like it's being handled in a different way because of the person right. running it you know and we want we obviously it's not the best way to treat players and we prefer to treat players the best all the times but we've also advocated that you know we still want the team to win, and at times the team has to under the general manager has to understand when are the few times to turn the screws to get a better team, and this is one of the few times you should. Well, it also shows to the people inside that dressing room, you know, because we were. I remember in 2017, like players were ruminating, like who's in charge. You know what I mean? You remember that? Now here we are, four years later, and uh, Bill Zito's in charge. And it's like, this is his statement to the organization saying, I'm in charge. I'm going to make this move. I have faith in my convictions. The coaching staff agrees with me. You know, again, this is a first time GM doing this in a very difficult situation. And he's got the courage of his convictions to do it and saying, this is going to be my team now. That's a tough thing to do. And yes, it's in a smaller market that nobody's really paying attention to. And it would be a much bigger deal if this was not the Panthers. But it's a moment for Bill Zito, and at the moment, at the moment, it's going the way he wants. I still expect Yandel to play because it's not like you know somebody like Kevin Connaughton's better than him, but well, it is a I, fascinating development in just the or the evolution it, of the organization, but also in the evolution of like what is the kind of general manager that Bill Zito is going to be. Well, you're getting an idea of it now, and if you if you end the game if you end the streak right away. There's nothing else to hit him. You know, there's nothing yeah, else no. to push. You, 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 know, lose that's your, it. you lose your cudgel. So, you lose the stick. So, like, right. they're not going to end it right away. I, I 100% agree with you. They're not ending it right away. But and if they do, they if they do, that's also a message. So That, is, that is a message. But as I said, I don't so think. We'll see how it goes. It'll be interesting. But, you know, if it happened, and as we've said, it was about ownership, general managership, coaching on the same page, desire to do it versus whether it was physically possible to get done. Yeah, and, and, and again, it signifies a totally shift for this organization, and it is a shift that hopefully, and I believe this is a welcome shift in the way the Panthers do business, and I obviously, we are advocates for Bill Zito here, 
Uh, it is a fascinating development, and we'll see where it goes. I, I did want to mention, of course, I said before, we talked about Pierre-Luc Dubois trade rumors as well as Patrick Laine. Um, I thought, of course, obviously, because both of those players, there would be eminent reason for the Panthers to deal for both of them. Now, obviously, they're not getting dealt in season. But for obvious reasons, you would see that there would be interest there. Now, based on this Yandel move and based on the fact that we know Yandel's not going to be a Panther next year, there's almost no chance of that. That means cap space is going to be available. You know what it signifies to me? As much as Line A or Pierre-Luc Dubois would be nice, big-time defenseman, that big, you know, pairing with Aaron Eckblad defenseman, that is Bill Zito's number one move that he's going to make when he has the chance to make it. So that's why I'm saying, like, as much as those other two moves would be great, they don't seem as likely to me now as he's going to swing for a defenseman at some point. And whether it's this offseason, trade deadline, we'll see. But that's coming. And that's yeah. his next big move. And, and whether they're partnered or not with Ekblad, um, you know, obviously Ek, the, the highlight of Ekblad's camp has been talking about Uyghur and how they're friends and how he oh, keeps I'm pushing so to only I'm play so with Uyghur. I'm so excited. For the, you cannot um, imagine how much it warms so hearts to hear this. I, I think what they're really looking for is a defender who can run another pair and, you know, play 20-some 22, 23 minutes, you know, and run a pair and, and play with Nudavar or play with whoever it's going to be um, that's in, you know, Ekblad's range. And then when they need to go that hero line uh, and put them together, like Columbus did with, does with Renski and Jones a lot, uh, and, you know, almost all the time now. But that's what you, when you, once you get that decor to where you need to go, you have that luxury of doing it. But I could see, you know, going for somebody to run the second pairing. Uh, and By the way, I know it's not going to happen because the Hurricanes aren't stupid, but Dougie Hamilton's free agent. If if for some reason he doesn't get signed. Uh, I mean, I'm just that, – that's the only name I can think of right now. See, right I, now. I think, I think what they need to do is to possibly, you know – wriggle three free uh you know a flyers prospect like zamala or cam york or wriggle free like a nashville um guy or like somebody from colorado or something i you know what when i when i think about the colorado thing that is a that is an interesting question because um you know next year there's a certain defenseman of theirs that needs a contract that they're not going to trade hmm wonder who that might be so and cap's not going up and next year, you know who else needs a contract in Colorado? Well, it's Landis Cog. Landis Cog and McCarr need contracts. So, well, I um, mean, I, uh, hello, I Sam think, Gerard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's that's what it's going to be. And I think, you know, if and And let's be fair, Sam Gerard is a baller. So if the Panthers trade, he's also left shot. So it would, it, it would solve a huge problem organizationally. But I'm saying that's what you got to look out for. Yeah, that, the, that's definitely the type of player, you know, between, you know, between a up and coming prospect, you know, like a Zamal or like a York or something to up to, you know, somebody like a, you know, um, blank Gerard, out. you know, like yeah, somebody like Gerard that. or, um, cause the thing with the ads you know, that they could like easily a, do is they have the prospects to just replace them if they have to. So. Yeah, or like you know, Devon Taves type. You know, that, yeah, basically that I, kind of move. I, I was I was writing up the Evs uh, intro and I and I forgot how you know they traded two second round picks in twenty one and twenty two for 
for Taves and then signed him for four years for $4.1 million. That takes him right up to 30 years old. And I mean, I'm just thinking, you're getting a guy who can play 20 minutes from 26, which is arguably the beginning of a defender's prime, into, you know, he's 30. And, like, and they can off- replace any of them with Bowen Byron when they have to. So, it, you know, and, and not just Bo and Byron, Drew Hellison and, you know, who I thought had a, a really good world junior. We'll talk uh, about that in a second, but that's kind of the move where I see Florida going. Like, that's the kind of thing that Bill Zito yeah. might do come the offseason. I, I, I do think that they still – I mean, I, th- oh, I think they're always going to be on the back burner for line A. Whether they judge it makes sense or not when the time to punch the ticket comes up, I don't know. Well, as but we I, talk about, think, we talk about, you know, like I, if operation number one for the Panthers is keep Sasha Barkov, trading for his best friend is not a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, then, you know, then you're working on those contracts together. Maybe that's how you keep line A low is, you know, working that with Barkov's extension. You know, I don't know. I, would, would it take a lot to get line A? Would it be stupid or would it be too much? I don't know. I don't know. But I love Patrick Laine, and I love Barkov even more. And the thought of them on the same line for the next eight years. The thought of an idea of a line, if you know Barkov, Laine, is just, it's just, come on, that's too much. Yeah, that keeps me watching the Panthers, and it keeps diehards who like the Panthers watching the Panthers. Well, no, it, it means non-diehards start watching the Panthers because they're good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that, you know, that, that's the hopeful. So let's outcome. let's let's talk about other Panthers things before we get to some World Juniors and some more general predictions before we wrap this up because this is going to get me along with all the interviews we've we, done. We don't have to do World Junior. There's a World Junior wrap up piece. Well, yes, very good. If very you good go point. to the, if you go to whyhockeyprospects.substack.com, there is a World Junior recap. Best of thoughts are there. Read that. Yes. Very interesting that um, the Panthers had the two best goalies in the tournament, one of the best forwards in the tournament, and a defenseman yeah. who played better as the tournament went on. But, right. you know. Yeah, and sign. obviously pump the brakes little on Levy. Let's see how he does in Northeast. But that was a damn good performance. And well, again, definitely well, not. You, I'd rather have a lot of goalies like that than yeah. none. And the Panthers until recently had zero, and now they have two, and that's a good thing to have. Mm. Agreed. It's a very good thing to have. So, current Panthers, uh, just want to say, uh, as we know, Bobrovsky hasn't done any practice. I'm assuming he had COVID. They haven't talked about it. But on the day we were recording yeah. this, he was at practice. Now, if the game was as it was scheduled, he wouldn't have played. But I'm going to guess he's going to miss at most a game. But he's going to play. He's not, he's, not going, he's not going anywhere. The other question is, is Nudivara. I don't know whether it's quarantine. I, he must have had COVID or something along those lines or he's in contact yeah. tracing. The league's not going to – the Panthers aren't going to tell us, I, and, but he's not and, playing. And I'm pretty sure Dennis Sanko had COVID too. So Well, whatever know. it is, the only so. players that were in the – were Lamico and, and Nudivara and Bobrovsky, and Bobrovsky was just at practice. Nudivara is still not at practice. So I think the defense pairs were what? Were Ekblad, Weger, Stillman, Strawman, and Forsling, Yandel for the time being. Connaughton was the extra. Again, Juleson's quarantining. Uh, I'm assuming Nudivara is not available. We'll see how this shakes out. They have a little bit more time to play, and they have a bunch of cap space. They can really do whatever the heck they want. I, I want to know how they got Forsling in there so quickly. Was he like practicing with them in Fort Lauderdale or something? I, like... Because because he was in Carolina, he probably didn't have to do any sort of quarantining or different kinds of procedures, and could really hit the ground running in a way that was different compared to Juleson or compared to somebody who yeah, probably it, had it, COVID. It, it, it's so it's 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's... well, it's interesting, and again, Forsling, I don't think he's going to be very good necessarily, but he's a player Quenville knows, and it's again, stop. I think he'll under. be, I think he'll be good enough. And if you're asking me, would I rather play Forsling or Yandel? It's you know, all things considered. Again, it's going to be very interesting to see who ends up playing when the when the lineups come out and how they're going to manage this because they got a lot. And the other thing about Forsling and 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 Juleson, you have to notice is uh, Forsling and Juleson have to be on the the main roster at this moment because players who were acquired on waivers have to go through waivers again to get to the taxi squad. So you got to keep that in mind, and they could easily lose one of them through waivers. Now, I don't think it would be the yeah. worst thing in the world if they lost one of them through waivers, but I'm just saying that I, I didn't realize that, but keep that in mind yeah, as ga- time goes on. Gaming it out, it might be something like, you know, Keeper starts on, you know, like they they put all the guys like Stillman and Keeper who are on two ways or whatever. I'm just, you know, talking. Yeah, out my, it, talking there's, out a lot of of game, there's a lot of game theory. They, they might paper it. They might paper it as they call it in the beginning, and then as Juleson comes back, they put they try to sneak Forsling through, let to let Juleson play, and you know, blah blah. You know, they take well, it from we'll, there. We'll we'll see how that works out. And as for the forwards. They've, they've put lines in a blender. There's no really way to know at this point like well, what they're going to do. It, it looks, I mean, it looks like they've they've got some pairs. They they really seem to, they, they're going to, at least it looks like they might start the year breaking up Barkov and Huberto um, and then putting Duclair and Barkov together, Huberto and Wenberg together, Vitrano and Luas Straining together. Uh, and I could yeah, see those. Starnin being on the roster. How, what do we think of that? Uh, you know, if I was I was reading something, uh, it was a I forget I sent it to O'Brien. I, I can't well, remember. I know the thirty-one thought. Elliot Freeman had something from Ole Oaken and yes, like, oh, yeah, this yeah. guy's good. This yeah, well, yeah. they are from yeah. the same hometown, but right. But oh, you know, I I think when when they made that pit, when they made that trade, I was saying that I think it wasn't Prisky. Prisky that was the prospect that they got. I, I thought it was Lou Australian was really the guy and. Uh, you know, it's really turned into a one for one, and it, and I'm not too ma- I'm not too mad about it. I mean, like I think you would have loved to have Trocheck for the playing series, and you know, based on COVID and the flat cap, maybe you would keep him around and wait till he gets you know a little more value back in his game or or whatever. But uh, I'm not gonna if if they're gonna play play Lawstrand and play Is him. That at line, th- what did that line look like? Because Tippett was on the other side of it. Yeah, and I think yeah. well at if the moment it was Verhage, but then he moved up to the top shooters. line. You got two shooters, and Luol Stranding is a guy who plays through the middle of the ice, is a good F three, covers those wingers well, and he's a playmaker. And he's he's made in camp. I know it's just training camp. You can't put too much stock in training camp, preseason scrimmages, whatever. But he makes a lot of no look passes. I mean, he is seemingly knowing where these guys are on the ice, whether it's Tippett. Or whether it was uh, bef- before Hornquist came back and Tippett was on that second line, uh, they were running Connolly and some other, and he was even, you know, that line was still keeping a, a, a pretty solid pace and 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 you know, from from all of account. all the players that you know, like it, from when I talked to David, it definitely looked like Tippett was going to be here and, and on this on this team, but that again, and because a lot of these players are positionless in many ways. You can kind of swap them around, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see that. But, like, th- doesn't this feel like just a group of forwards that, even if you're not to say necessarily it's good, you'd say, okay, this is interesting. 
I want to see how this goes because they can do a lot of different little things with this with this forward group, and like that that Wenberg Hornquist Huberto line is very interesting because you've got Hornquist is going to be an ass and stand in front of the net. You've got Huberto who does what he does, and I think his game might actually go well with Wenberg. So it it maybe it's something that sticks. We, we'll 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 see. I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Let's yeah. just say. And, and and to be honest, if if Yandel is on his way out, I think as soon as they kind of figure out and get their footing and figure out when that's going to resolve itself, I think Connolly, after they kind of let him play his way out of the lineup, is going to be next up on the block. Um, because, you know, Henestrosa is a guy I think is going to, is going to get some ice time. And, um, you know, I, if, if Hepo Niemi is on the taxi squad, I, I want him getting some NHL time, even if it is fourth line. Uh, I'm not a big Mason Marshman fan, but, you know, he looked good in the scrimmage, you know, again, scrimmage, uh, taxi squad as well. Yeah. But so he, you know, I, I think that they're going to be moving a lot of guys in and out uh, of spots, of the lineup. And that leads me to believe, as necessary as it is to make the playoffs, the biggest goal is to get Barkov comfortable and re-signed. I think, like, that- I think they can make the playoffs even with that for the reason that if Bobrovsky gets on a heater, it might not matter anyway. But it's not as if, like, I'm saying, like, making the playoffs isn't the ultimate goal, because it is. But it is a, it is, seems like it's one of those, it is a rebuild on the fly. And you can do those successfully. And the Panthers are, look like they're doing it, well, at least are attempting to do it, in a somewhat constructed and meaningful way. And I'm intrigued to see what comes next. And we're, we're well, going to find they, I, I think, I think with... With the Panthers, it's more about just proving the Barkov that the processes are back to working, that there's something brewing here as they're put going through the parts and figuring out which fin to play with which fin and and all of that, you know, all this good stuff that Barkov wants to hear. You know, it's just, hey, new conference, crazy shortened schedule. You know, let's ink New this extension. I'm gonna get. Let's 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 re let's right. breathe again. Let's see. I where mean, we can I, go. I think I don't think that they can they can have a bad year and keep Barkov. But I think if they are if they push and it comes down to you know puck luck in the last couple games of the season and you're fighting against Dallas and Nashville for a playoff spot, you know, I think you did your job. And, oh, I think that that's what I thought. Like, and you know what's funny? It's I was reading some season previews, and a lot more people are like, "Florida I mean, could surprise than I thought they would." Personally, I would, I would say it's playoffs or bust. But I, th- I think pragmatically, from Zito's perspective and stuff, you want you want it to come down. You know, you want them to either get in the playoffs on merit, or at the very worst, you want it to be puck luck. And they're you know they're losing out to Nashville, who gets into the playoffs every year and has for decades uh and dallas who was you know pretty damn good last year i don't i don't think people would expect them to miss the playoffs again and that's not a team stuff and yeah and those are two teams that aren't usually deciding whether you make the playoffs or not so i think you know that those are realistic exceptions not like oh injuries well it looks to me like they've prepared for injuries picking up two defensemen off waivers, having Yandel to go to if there's injuries, you know, uh, with some of their forwards, with you know Hepo Niemi being that skill guy off the bench, with having some grind guys off the bench, with Cole Schwint 
looking pretty decent in, in his, you know, first pro camp and stuff like that. Dennis Sanko is a guy that can come up. You know, I think they are prepared for COVID and, and injuries as much as humanly possible this year. I mean, again, these are all signs of that stark contrast you made a great point of pointing out. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems like they're just they're, they are prepared for every and all eventuality. Right. And uh, as long as the – again, the Panthers have long been an 86-point team in an 82-game season with the arrow either pointing sideways or down. I still think this team in an 82-game season would be the average Panthers 86-point team, but you could tell that the arrow is pointing up. And I think that Bill Zito's had those conversations with Barkov, and he made it a point to say, this is my guy, I'm, I'm supporting him, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So he's talking with him all the time, and he knows, because he's seen what happened in Columbus when those players walked. I'm sure he knows what that's like. So he's right. doing everything he can to say, listen, I'm going to make sure you're, you're my guy, we're going to work with you, and we're going to make sure that you can do what you have to do, and it's going to be – that, like, that's the plan. So I also want to get just to the end of this before we, before we wrap this up. Again, I don't want this to last forever. This, 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 this is not something we want to do, obviously. Um, let's focus on just some general season stuff. If you've seen I, – I, I will retweet my prediction shortly. Um, I ended up with – the Flyers and Abs playing in the conference conference air quotes final. And I didn't do that because, oh, why hockey would be amazing. I did that because I legitimately thought like, okay, I still pick Philly to win the division because I said, who has the least amount of flaws and who has the best goalie? Well, the Flyers have the least amount of flaws right now and they have the best goalie. I picked Carter Hart to win the Vesna, by the way, in case people are wondering. Um, Colorado to me is the best team in the league. What? Good boy. I, again, I don't do this because I, I, I don't do this because I want it to because I'm doing it for why hockey reasons. I'm doing it because I legitimately think that's going to happen. Um, Tampa had them winning this uh, Central Division rather easily. Toronto wins the North rather easily. Um, other questions that I had, I ended up picking Tim Stutzler to win the uh, the Calder because he's playing on a line with Evgeny Dadanov, and we love Evgeny Dadanov. So I, I was like, oh, I'm going to pick Kaprizov. Actually, no, I'm not. No, I'm going to do that. I'm going to pick Stutzler. And I'm like, because he, his tournament, his world juniors was just sick. sick. Yeah. He, he has that high gear and you know, my only concern and it's not really a concern, but you know, as he develops the one thing I think he needs to develop before he becomes, you know, the player he, he, he's going to be is that control aspect of that gear. Uh, Cause I think sometimes, you know, he skates into defenders cause he's just moving so fast. They don't have to move, you know? So I think, you know, this year, even if he doesn't win rookie of the year, if he has more of a learning year, like say Kako had or, or Jack Hughes had, um, you know, I, I think he's still going to be that superstar, exciting well, he is. player he is. He on, is. in, in that ELC. Like, I, I think if it's one bet, you know, he might get his sophomore slump out in his rookie year and, yeah. and take he, off from there. He's, I, I was going to pick Kaprizov to win the Calder. And, and then I'm and like, shout out. Shout out to Trev, precarious photo on Twitter. Uh, he was a big Tim Stutzler guy from the beginning and kept badgering me, badgering me to watch him and telling me how elite and high-end different parts of his games were. the Senators to have a star. I hope he doesn't force his way out in six years. Uh, well, the, the, so, like, it's so funny how the number one overall pick in the draft is, like, not even in my top two for winning the Calder this year. And, I mean, last year that turned out to be the case, too, but... You know, it's, it's yeah. just amazing to think. 
Well, if you think, if you look at it, it, it might be because you know with Stutzla, there is no log jam. They're not going to be anywhere close to playoff contention. He's going to get first line minutes, full tilt. He's going to be the focus year. of that Senators team. Lafreniere, Lafreniere is has you know two to three left wingers that are roughly you know middle six wingers that might take some minutes and, and opportunities from him when he's not playing at his best, and you know they aren't super strong down the middle not saying Ottawa is either but you know I I could I could see Lafreniere kind of being held back by the Rangers possibly competing I mean they have a fantastic well it's not only that it's that there's another Calder contender on his own team who will get more credit if the Rangers are good yeah and and that's what I'm talking about is that phenomenal goalie I mean there's that video from camp of him making like a ridiculous back post split save and then pulling himself up from the split with just his legs like very quickly it well the problem for just problem in that for for Lafreniere is that the Rangers defense core is a tire fire of terrible so like if if Shesterkin is really good then we'll all go and we'll when we'll read the people who and you know we'll listen to Steven Valaket and we'll go like guys Shesterkin is having an amazing season because the defense core is even worse than we thought like that's that that's the other yeah. argument, too. And, and, I mean, yeah. When you have a guy like D'Angelo, it just becomes a shooting parlor on the back end. If you know oh, that. God. Anyway, the point is, I, I just I find that interesting. Um, as I said, I had Carter Hart winning the Vesna. He's the best goalie in that division, uh, and that's why I had Philly first because, like, what team has the fewest demonstrable problems and also has the best goalie? The answer is the Flyers do. I, I, I know that Vigneault's teams, you know, it's a, it's, the return on investment gets lower and lower as time goes on, but I, I just, I can't see a, a universe in which like, it, it, obviously I don't think they missed the playoffs. The team I had missing the playoffs in that division was Pittsburgh. And that is not because the yep. Penguins made a bad trade with the Panthers, but it's because I'm like, I'm not the Islanders thing. It frustrates me, but they're going to still make the playoffs because they're the Islanders. And I'm not betting against them at this point. Cause I bet against them far too often. I'm not doing that again. Um, so it's the same reason why I have Columbus in the playoffs, and I had the Panthers finishing ahead of Nashville, which is, again, that is entirely because of John Hines and how that team doesn't gel. Uh, in terms of other things that I think are just fascinating little notes about the rest of this season, I'm just trying to think of, like, if there's anything else that, w- that is fascinating to you as we uh, get to watch hockey, 116 straight days I, of NHL games. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep on Washington. I know they're old. Um, but there's not that many games this They don't year. feel like, you know, and, th- what's interesting is we're now really good at finding out when a team, you know, Hemingway quote, people go bankrupt gradually, then suddenly, you know, like we saw it with the Blackhawks and we saw it with the Sharks. And now everybody's like, are the Penguins and Capitals, you know, the next teams to go bankrupt suddenly, you know, in a, in a hockey sense. Um, I'm interested in seeing, um, I think the Capitals have a little more left in the tank as opposed to the Penguins, like I, the Capitals have younger depth, you know, and still have those high-end guys other than Crosby and Malkin that, you know, and I'm not saying that guys like McCann and Kasperi Kapanen aren't bad. It's just like the Penguins, there are more flaws I could see. They have, in, when you're talking about goaltending, you know, it's it's fascinating how they both have unproven goaltenders, but, you know, like who do you trust more, Sam Sonoff or, or Tristan Jari is an interesting question, you know. That's a, that's a fascinating and, one. And- and I think you can't sleep on the Laviolette factor. He no, usually, that's the other reason why. Because Laviolette is another one of those guys who gets a lot out of his first year as a coach of a team. Yeah, and 
let's let's be honest, he's one of the few kind of old school coaches that still gets results in a new league and still doesn't seem oh, to Quenville mind. Too, you let's know. be fair. I mean, not well, not with the Panthers immediately, but you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think with Laviolette, I think you've seen it a little more frequently moving team to team, so it's easier to kind of trust yeah. that. I mean, but that that's kind of Laviolette's thing. Like he's the short shelf life old school coach on the market. That he that's like his calling card. And that's the and that's the and that's the post. Like, I mean, and, and also, you know, Laviolette's not going to get canned, but Mike Sullivan could get canned. We we could see that. Yeah, and uh, I, I agree. And and you know, I Ovechkin, I I, I love Ovechkin. You, you can't. Bet, speaking of can't betting against, you can't I'm not bet against again. Ovechkin. And uh, there's just something infectious about his personality. And of course, when you score that many goals, your team's going to do well. Those two things mix. So uh, I'm fascinated to see out, where this out goes. West, I'm really, I mean, I want to talk up the abs. I, I really love talking up the abs. I'm going full bandwagon this year. Oh, I picked them to win the cup. Uh, you know, I, I, I think for them, it's really going to be about having to step up and prove people right that they are this good rather than prove people wrong and that they are better than they're being given credit for. It's a whole different dynamic. They're finally getting their flowers and, they're in a weak, what's perceived to be the weaker, you know, division of the, you know, the four remaining ones. So, you know, the pressure is on for them to deliver, especially in the regular season, the run up. That well, season. because they have not had to deal with the we have to jettison people after a good run yet. No, no but they I mean, will. Sa- th- they will, but I mean, right now, I think. You know, Sackick's done a good job of balancing competing right now with not handcuffing himself. Sure. Making it harder, short, they're going to have to lose some guys, but he hasn't handcuffed up, handcuffed himself yet or set himself to have to shed a bunch of people. And, and that's really the key. Uh, and so I'm excited to see, you know, how, you know, the new guys, Sod and Taves, fit into that group. It, you know, McKinnon, Landeskog, those guys taking another step. I mean, it's nice to hear Sackick and Landeskog both say, they, that this extension is going to make Landeskog an ab for life, and that's both of their intentions. Sackick being an ab for life, that's, you know, uh, when they're both saying that, it's, and, you know, Landeskog seems like that type of same guy. By the way, can we say that the Vegas-Colorado game at Lake Tahoe is right. going to be really cool? Also, the Flyers yeah. are playing the Bruins at Lake Tahoe, which is going to be yeah. really cool. And but Vegas-Colorado at Lake Tahoe is cooler. There's a great because... clip of uh, Belmar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, we're not out. playing on the lake? Yeah. Oh, that was, that was funny. crushes his dream. Uh, but, you know, like, it's the abs are really likable. They have the great reverse retro. They're playing, you know, against the Knights. And their rival, you know, the it's kind of like everybody likes the Golden Knights. Everyone wants them to do well. And the only people who can really slay them and take them down is the Avalanche. And this year is like a sprint against each other to see who's better. And I think... You know, you're not really going to get a chance to really put two teams in a bubble and figure it out. And this year, we get that opportunity. No, this year, they so, could play 15 times this year. Yeah, Vegas sit, and Colorado. sit back and enjoy because you know Mark Bacall there. That's going to be a hell of a run, and it's going to show you whether your team is a contender or not. Because you're going to be watching those two teams, you're going to be like, uh, I don't think our second pair can. Because here's the difference. Play. Here's the difference with a team like Tampa. Tampa's already won. We know they have a gear. They're going to coast at some point through the regular season because that's they can afford to do that. Yeah. It's not going to matter. But Vegas and Colorado don't really have that luxury. 
in the same sort of way. Tampa won the cup. You could yeah. you could forgive them. You know, and for the Blues, it's a similar way. Like, okay, they have their cup. It's different. You know what I mean? But yeah, those two it, teams don't. And I think I think going into the season with Tarasenko on the bench, uh, you know, there is a little bit of lowered expectations in St. Louis. You know, they lost Petrangelo. It might take a year for them to rebound. And, you know, they lost the, you know, uh, their AGM Armstrong, you know. Yeah. Who's, yeah, you, they... know, you know, there, it, there's, you know, they're shedding from their wind still. And they might internally, I mean, that's an ownership group that has been very patient and very understanding. So I think they will be again this year. But they're going to be pressing and, and making sure Vegas and, you know, Colorado don't have some easy games in between. No, I think the one other thing that I was hoping we would see, um, just in terms of young players, um, the, the Ducks are doing the right thing in playing it slow with Trevor Zegers, but boy, I wanted to see him play after that World Junior yeah. tournament. Whew. I mean, I, I think it's the same thing with the Flyers and, and Igor Zamala, which is he has the talent, he can play at the pace, you know, he could, you know, play 20 minutes and everything. He just can't hold, he's just not big enough. You know, like he's just too young and too. But, well, not but too let's young, be. Look, can, we, can we be fair? Like Trevor Zegers is sick, and if he I was mean, a year older, he might be a starting I, center I like for the him. U.S. at the Olympics. I like him, but again, he's the my issue always, and this is goes back to my scouting bias is these U.S. kids and everything. These that have are very high end, but you have to wait until they fill out and transition to the program pro game to know who's the real deal and who's not. I mean, you look at Kale, uh, uh, Casey Middlestat or Oof. Oliver Wallstrom oh, and stuff, oh, and, you know, God. these are Casey guys. Casey Middlestat, he's on the taxi squad for yeah. the Sabres. I, mean, I, I, I personally think, you know, if I would rather have Trevor Zegras than Jack Hughes, and I, I was somewhat pretty on that well, train going into the draft year. But so I, I do really respect Zegras, but um, yeah, I, I'm more gun ho on like Anton Lindell or even a guy like Brad Lambert who's not getting drafted until 2022 of being like a star factor player. It's it's an interesting, it's just interesting. Like this season is fascinating, and not a lot of people are talking about the NHL starting. It's happening in the middle of the NFL playoffs and all the things going on. But I'm just I'm, again happy that hockey's back. Since Maryland basketball is not good this year uh i have hockey to keep me occupied through all of this which is which is good and i i i'm again we're excited about this season there's a lot of good things to watch the flyers yeah. and Az are going to be good the panthers are intriguing for a lot of different reasons uh as i say you keep your eyes out we'll have plenty of shows we'll have plenty of content for you coming this season the panthers are recovering and intriguing we're not drinking the kool-aid we're not saying everything's fine we're not expecting you know great results and when they play bad we're not gonna you know, say, oh, that's okay. We're going to be frustrated. We're going to, you know, give it to the team and call out guys that stink, even if it is Barkov or Huberto or Eklad. Or, you know, say Quinville or Zito need to step it up and make something happen if, you know, we feel that way. But, you know, as of right now, you know. you ha it, I said new car smell with David, and, and we'll leave you with this. Yeah. It is a new car smell, and that can go away pretty fast. But if that new car smell stays around for a while – Smells pretty good. Yeah. And, and like, is it a new car? That, is is it a car see. that just has a new car smell or is there actually a new car? Yeah. I mean, but things we wanted to see, we're seeing. We're seeing more fins. We're seeing more of that interchangeability in the forward group. We're seeing more of that compete and uh, not not the 
toughness and grit like Broad Street bullies, but more like not giving up on puck battles. That t- that type of players. They, they, it um, is, it and, is a fascinating yeah. way that they're you building know, their team. Really, you know, picking guys off waivers that are worth that are worthwhile. You know, pushing veterans that aren't playing down and kind of you know giving them you know the opportunity to maybe to win themselves back in. Like maybe you kind of seen with Connolly, who was in Group Two a little bit and has come back and. You know, we'll probably keep some playing time and Yandel another. You know, you you're seeing stuff that other teams that have at least consistent middling success, like the Blue Jackets, um, you know, teams like that do. And you know, you want to see that, like the Islanders, yeah. the Blue Jackets, you know, even you know out west like Minnesota. You you want it, Florida at least needs to get to that level to continue to exist. So let's get there. And I am happy looks like we might be there. See you Sunday for those games again. Stay tuned for more Y hockey shows. Yep, big, big two points. Let's get them. Yep, against Chicago, you got to beat them. Good night, sort of, and good hockey.